<laughs> Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. You gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so this is probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or wherever it's Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing very from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> uh, if I ever see a little fuck, I'm going to punt him the next week. Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what I saw was him like... Kicking the like, like in fucking Anchorman, kicking the dog. <laughs> he like, punched Baxter. It's like, but it's, but it's like the little kid. It's like, yeah. like boots. It's like, ah! <laughs> uh, let's try that again, Yes. Uh, welcome, welcome, it. horror fans. It's Wednesday, seven p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast, the only podcast that wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight towards you. Who can name it? You can't do it. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this live every Wednesday right here on YouTube. Come hang out and see what all the stuff our editor doesn't want you to see. It's a lot of shit like this right here. Yes. Uh, this week, we're covering select horror films released May 28th through June 3rd. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Johnny, also known as some fat guy. And with me, Eugene and the other, I mean, JL. What's up, everybody? How's it going, everyone? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. It's been it's been a pretty awesome week. How's the week been for you guys this past week? I know you're busy, Johnny, with with, with editing. Yeah, that's um, yeah. And hopefully, we'll have a little treat for everybody soon. He's such a cornucopia of fucking information. <laughs> no, no treats. Uh, no treats for anybody anytime soon. Um, because I'm gonna be. I'm about to leave. Actually, I'm leaving this fucking place. No, I, I have a shoot to go tomorrow. That I'll be gone for. I I think I'll be away from the editing desk for like six days. Where are you heading? I'm going to San Antonio tomorrow on Tuesday of next week. And then Wednesday, we have another shoot. That's a one day thing. So, yeah, I probably will be back until Thursday, Friday of next week. Are you shooting in the basement of the Alamo? um, No, uh, we're not going to Austin. We're going to San Antonio. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? You're such a fucking idiot. What? <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to fuck with you, okay? No, you not- didn't fuck with me. We all knew you. It's like 
Over the head. I said, are you shooting at the baseline? You ball, we all knew you were going to do. What the fuck? <laughs> we uh, no, we we're, not shooting, we're not shooting. Uh, we're going to, I think, the river walk. I think we're doing the river walk. The and river we're doing walk, yeah. Uh, someplace adjacent. Um, I can't remember exactly where. I looked at it via Zoom today for the first time. And they sent me a bunch of pictures. They didn't give me any addresses. So I'm kind of just blindly driving to fucking San Antonio tomorrow. <laughs> Looking that's for a film set. Like, hey, uh... That's why I say, oh, this one's big. You're just heading down to San Antonio. So I was like, oh, you're probably shooting you know, you shoot it at the basement of the Alamo. No. So, no. Pee Wee reference, you know? Come on, man. You know that. It was already a lot of shooting at the Alamo. Oh. A lot of people died. <laughs> History <laughs> pun. <laughs> Texas War for Independence Fund. Oh, man. What the fuck are we doing? Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, fuck. And how are you doing, Eugene? You're going to slide in there. I'm coming in and fucking burning this motherfucker down. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, see, Johnny's busy. Johnny's busy editing, of course, the shoot that we just recently did. And uh, I know Eugene has got stuff. And people in the chat are going like, what the fuck? So we got to catch up with that here in just a second. But first and foremost, before we do anything, before we say hi to anybody, we want to make a give a huge weekend for uh, welcome to our newest patron, Sorsha Redhair has joined the Weekend Horror family. Thank you so much, Sorsha. We look forward to seeing you behind the That's scenes fun. at the Bloodbath debates and, of course, at the After Darks. And uh, all the and you'll have access to all the cool behind the scenes stuff that we do here at Weekend Horror. So thank you very very much for your support. And uh, you can see your name right there on the banner, the Patreon banner down at the bottom. Trucking by, those are all the amazing people who help make the show possible. So, thank you, you so much. The wrong way, JL. I saw that. I went, eh, you there we go. You're like, I oh, paused and then I went just to double check. <laughs> I don't automatically go, oh, it's this way. It's like, no, it's that way. You had to think about it for a second. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But before we dive into this stuff, um, let's see who we got in the live chat tonight. So, we got a bunch of people here. So, uh, Travis Brown is here. Good to see you, Travis Brown. Says, good evening, boys and boils and ghouls. First here in the chat. Good to see you, Travis. Let's get it. Fishing is here. Says, first time in this chat. Good to see you, Fishing. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Hope you enjoy the show. Jeremy Duncan is here. Says, holy heart bander Batman horror stuff soon. All except Mr. Brooks, that is. LOL. So I think Mr. Brooks is a horror film. I do. You can't half decapitate somebody with a shovel and think it's not going to be a fucking horror movie. That's just my opinion. I mean... Look, we all know the reason why it was called a thriller and not a horror because the same reason why Silence of the Lambs is called a thriller um, right. is because horror, for some reason, in the modern age or the contemporary age, just doesn't get Oscar considerations. I guess, yeah. Uh, Sherry Tilly's here. Yeah, Sherry Tilly's here. Good to see you. Sherry says, hey, all, I made it in time. I thought Aaron's were going to take way longer. I'm glad you're here, Sherry. Thanks so much for being here. Casey Cooper's, well, yes, Eugene's drawing X-rated storyboards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I had a notebook nearby. No. <laughs> Casey oh, Cooper's here. Good to see you, Casey Cooper. Ooh, uh, let me see who else. Uh-oh. I don't like where that's going. Oh, he bounced away for a second. Let me see who else is here. Who else is in the chat tonight? Um, Sir Chasm is here. Good to see you, Sir Chasm. 
I got to scroll through it to make sure I catch everybody. Sir Chasm is here. Thanks so much for being here tonight, as well as, oh, dang, there's a big conversation going on. Oh, Charlie Welch is here. Good to see you. Charlie says, yo, folks, thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Uh, always fun to see the Welchie, the only man on the internet never make a bet with. I'm never going to not make that joke. Christo Kiernium is here, says, hey, JL, Johnny, Eugene, and everyone. Good to see you, Christo. Thanks so much for being here. And Angel Rivera as well. Says, what up, what up, Weekend Horror? Good to see you, Angel. And Denova28 is here as well. Good to see you, Denova. Another one of our amazing supporters. Freight Edges says, what the fuck? Yeah, we were laughing our asses off. It always, whenever Johnny's here, it, gets, it always gets off to kind of a weird start. But, you know, that's why. Hey, man, I can't find it. I was going to show you the newest to the, the newest Eugene storyboard that I found. <laughs> to, well, if you uh, couldn't find it, it's obviously a drawing of your dick. It's drawing of somebody's dick. That's what you mean. <laughs> I don't know whose dick it is, but it's somebody's. Elizabeth S., good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. CPM as well. Says, uh, Tang is in the chat. Good to see you, CPM. Uh, Tang Whistle. Uh, Javier Har is here. So, oh, sorry. Javier Har is not here, but we will miss him. So uh, thank you, Javier Har, for letting us know that you're not here. Uh, Casey Cooper says, how does Johnny always have Eugene's X-rated stuff? That is a goddamn good question. Don't be jealous. <laughs> fuck <laughs> what the fuck is he doing I, find it. I don't know what I did with him I put him away somewhere I don't know what the fuck I did with him you good no he's no I, no, I, no he's he's on a mission now he's doing something I know what the I don't know what the fuck he's doing I'm looking for Eugene's dick drawings fuck off <laughs> <laughs> we need you back in the show okay I'm back can't find him. I know they're in here somewhere. Uh, producer, this is an amateur hour. We need to have dick drawings now. You want to show stuff, you need to have that shit prepped. I like on the side. Like, here we go. It's like, oh, check this out. Bam, dick drawings. Hey, you can't have Eugene's dick drawings on fucking point all the time, right? Because then people are gonna start looking at you funny. We already B. look at you funny. Ain't no yeah, loss. I, I know that. I'm not trying to give you extra reasons to look at me funny. Okay. B, I've been breathing in fucking resurfacing fumes for like seven hours. Okay. <laughs> for, anybody, for anybody curious, just for anybody listening out there, if you happen to be in maintenance or haven't ever done this yourself, they were resurfacing Johnny's tub in his bathroom. I didn't know they were doing that. We were resurfacing his tub, and he decided to hang out in the bathroom for like seven hours after they Not did this. in the bathroom, you fucker. <laughs> it's a long time in the bathroom. Jesus Christ. Look, you get, when, you, when you find a good video to watch. <laughs> what are you watching? Dancing with Wolves? Twice? <laughs> Twice. And the first one. Dancing with Wolves. I wanted the extended version. <laughs> Shut up! It's on! <laughs> Dance with Wolves, director's cut, two hours of extra yeah, special right. features. Special features. Look, my Jeremy, fucking legs are uh, going numb, but we're right at the good part. Will Patton just showed up. Jeremy right. <laughs> asked a very important question. So a horror movie gets made, starring JL, Johnny O, and Eugene. Who dies first? Johnny. I already know what you're, where you're going, Jeremy. And don't think we haven't had this discussion. Man, don't think I haven't pulled Eugene aside and said, "Hey, you can't be doing that shit." Because you know why you can't be doing that shit. Because if I did a smart thing, I would survive the horror movie. Right. Yeah. Eugene, well, Eugene is the Eugene is the sex symbol of the group. So 
He I can't mean, look, have to die. He can't die look, first. Yeah, I understand you think that, but there is he, Eugene has one quality that guarantees that he's at least first third chopping block. He's in the first third? Oh, yeah, if not the first. first. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not saying I want, I think it's bullshit, but, I mean, just traditionally, people of a certain um, military background don't tend to survive past the first act. Well, yeah, because then we would just kill the killer. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's there's a funny short done by uh, Range Fifteen where they have like a serial killer break into their house, and they all get super excited and they're trying to decide which gun they're going to use. <laughs> it's all in slow motion. The killer comes in, they just blow them away. End of movie. Denova says it goes Johnny Eugene and JL is the order That's of the absolutely order of incorrect. We all three go at the same time. Okay. That's just the way it works. It wouldn't happen because I would use you as a human shield. I'm bigger than you. Exactly. You couldn't use me as anything. I most remember, certainly could. Oh, remember, <laughs> remember who fits Operation Human Shield. Come on. Oh, I remember JL. Oh, yeah. I already know. I already know. Yeah. South Park. <laughs> <laughs> South Park reference. Come on now. No, see, because this is the thing. Because I would be either like the guys from Scary Movie or from the taking of Deborah Logan, where the camera guy's like, I'm out. Yep. Yes. So okay, look, I don't want to be I don't want to be racially insensitive, but or scream too. Scream too. The guy's just like, I'm 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 gone. I'm doing yeah. I'm I'm out. I'm out. Survives. (laughs) survives. Yeah, the funniest thing, right? Uh, and I had this discussion. Of course, there's all the fucking jokes of people unwind your fucking assholes for a little bit. I was having this discussion with a couple of my other buddies talking about uh in like because we were talking about the uh, like the, the the racial stereotypes in horror films, specifically how black men are usually the first to die, right? right. You see a black, they're going to die really quick within the first act. Like, that's the whole joke, right? Eugene's black, he's going to die with the first act, right? I'm sorry but, to interrupt, but you, you, remember, you remember watching The Wicked One, right? Did you watch that one? Because in The Wicked One, there was like, I, I sent a picture to you guys. It was like, the, it's like, it's like, it's like the black guy's going to die. It's like, how do you know? It was, it was like, this character's going to die. It's how do you know? It's like, one, he's black. Two, he's wearing a Rastafarian shirt. Three, he's smoking weed. And four, he's got his dick out taking a piss. It's like, he's <laughs> uh, like a giant blunt. And he's like the Rastafarian. And he's got yeah. fucking dreads and shit. I'm like, and the minute he came on screen, I'm like, that fucker's going to die. No, but so we were talking about those racial disparities in, or those racial stereotypes in, in horror films. And we're like, this so couldn't be further from the truth. Hey, black people are the last people to stick around. Okay. When I'm, that sounded so bad. I didn't mean it that way. I just meant in a high tense situation. <laughs> when guns start going off, black folk are the other fucking way. Okay. This is just accurate. There's not whatever. White people are at the door, like, are they shooting guns? <laughs> okay. That's that's okay. So now we're talking, we're talking, we're talking that kind of horror film. Now let's go to a nature horror film, right? Um, who was it? Was it uh it was DL Hughley talking about uh the this guy who who got his Florida Everglades alligator like jumped in the boat, snatched his son. He dove in after the alligator and beat the shit out of the fucking alligator to get his son back, right? And he was talking about, you know, that motherfucker was white because if it had been me, I'd be like, well, 
I got a pair of his shoes. He got one of my kids. We're screaming. <laughs> but, you know, Sometimes right? nature's a bitch, and you just keep going. <laughs> Damn, nature be but, scary. <laughs> but I'll make another know. one just like you. <laughs> you see, you see a mountain lion out in the wilderness. There's some white lady named Karen. It's like, oh, I bet you I could feed him, take care of him, house train him. You know that's true. You know that's true. Like that I'm lady not, was arguing with a bear. This bear was destroying <laughs> her kayak, and she's fucking pleading and arguing. Okay, okay. Then, then how do you explain the viral video of the young black girl who was at Yellowstone Park, which already seems like an okay. it's like a completely contradictory statement in terms? Is yeah. <laughs> that young black girl in Yellowstone? Who got who got literally sailed like ten feet in the air by that fucking American bi- buffalo, <laughs> the fucking bison? This one rolled up and bam, and she was gone. Like she let the, okay. he like knocked her out of fucking continuity. You know, like it's like how do you explain that? Well, see, this and this is the thing because I love watching fail videos. I do. I love watching fail videos. I subscribe to a bunch of channels, and the one common denominator is this. If you see a black guy on fail videos, it's like a legit accident. Like he tripped over something, like going in the kitchen or something like that. When you see a white person on a fail video, they're like, I bet you I can jump this lawnmower from this other house. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the point that I'm making. White people traditionally like stupid risks. We, we, we are really. <laughs> you know, the, I, saw the video, man, okay? I saw the video of the kid jumping in, like literally, it's like this hill, like this almost 50 degree decline and they put him in a shopping cart and they sent him down yeah. and he's going down and it's like well, and then of course it veers off because he can't yeah. steer and he runs into one of those wires and that holds those tension wires that holds up a light pole and he just clipped it went off and like yeah that asshole was white yeah. you know, was like I, w- I saw a video and they like built this homemade, like they built this homemade ramp with dirt and wood and all the other kind of stuff. And they launched this white kid in the air. <laughs> and there was no plan. There's no ramp on the other side. There's no water. There's no like a downslope. So you can kind of go. And he's just in the air. And it just hits straight flat ground. That's what happens when you have half a plan. <laughs> like we planned out to a certain point. There's the video of the dude who jumped like like they were hot hot air balloon skydiving, and the dude who jumped with no parachute. Everybody else had parachutes. The objective was he was going to jump himself, no parachute. And then he was his friends were going to get him down safely. But he's like, yeah, no parachute. Just literally just his fucking jorts. And he's like, ha, <laughs> like. <laughs> What are you? No shirts, no shirt, just jorts and sneaks. And he's like, Oh, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, They'll save me. Are you sure? Because the because you gotta think if he just if he's like, I'm out, and there goes the green. <laughs> oh man, um, oh, anyway, but. So, uh, so somebody, some people commented on that. So Javier Hara said, "Hey guys, the first to die is the one with the red shirt. Red shirt is Star Wars rule, or Star, sorry, Star Trek rule. It's Star wow. Trek rule. My bad. You, are, I to- you, I, there's where you belong. You go back to the, you go back to the corner where you belong. Uh, I know I fucked your time sorry. So <laughs> you see, he is correct. It is a Star Trek rule. The red shirts, yeah, the red shirts die from from TOS, from TOS. Which okay. one? Which one? The original series." 
Okay, good. Just making sure. Just I making know sure. what TOS means. I don't know. You called it fucking Star Wars a second My ago. My bad. Okay, no, because those would be those would be any guys wearing a mask. They're toast. That ain't fucking cool because all the goddamn stormtroopers wear fucking helmets and masks and shit. So they all fucking die. That's like, nah, you can't do that. Come on. Yes, I can. The I only mean, person who wears a mask in the way with shit is fucking Mando. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, let's see. Sarcasm says, remember, you only have to be faster than one person. Very true, Sarcasm. Casey Cooper says, I still say Eugene because he's youngest, then Johnny. JL is the killer. JL is not the killer, even in his wildest dreams. I might be the killer. JL says that the um, that selfless hero who tries to save everybody, and then he smack plats right into an invisible wall. I kind of yeah I kind of, I actually I'm not uh, I'm not going to disagree with that I kind of feel like 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 literally you, you okay here's here's a blast y'all remember the fucking movie crawl which one crawl crawl yeah okay. yeah with the yeah, yeah the dude with the like the the triskelion the big monster and shit yeah there's the scene where the cyclops dude you know saves everybody by holding the wall the wall is closing he's like oh because he's super strong but then he winds up getting yeah yeah you know, I've I've always felt he was like. That's something that I would wind up doing. It's yep. like, yeah, I, yeah, I'll hold the wall and blah, I'll, I'll hodor that motherfucker. I will hodor shit. So, yeah, feel a kinship with the hold the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jeremy Duncan's gonna pull my sci-fi card. <laughs> Tang whistle said blasphemy. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad. I feel very bad. I really, really do. <laughs> I feel terrible. Yeah, I'm gonna have to console all of my Star Wars figures uh, back here. I, I think I think it's like it's like my my sci-fi card. It's like it's like a it's like a chip. You know, you get you get a corner clipped if you fuck up, just like in Boy Scouts. So you get your you get like your your pot your knife card. You get your fireman's chitter. You get your your uh, woodworking chitter, whatever. And if you mess up with your knife or your fireman skills, you get a corner clipped. You get all four corners clipped. You get it taken away. Then you have to re-earn it. So you have to recertify. Yeah. So I. So I will take that. I'll say, uh, yes, I will take a corner clipped from my sci-fi card. <laughs> That's two corners. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Pellegrini's here. Good to see you, Charles. Thanks so much for being here. Says, sorry, I'm late catching up at 1.75. That okay, should look. be even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous watching us. <laughs> um, I would not recommend doing that and driving at the same time. Okay. No, do not definitely not. Uh Jeremy Duncan says Kroll should have gotten a sequel. Goddamn, yes, it should have, because that movie was fucking amazing. Um, and Casey Cooper says, I think you could I think you guys could be the cast of Shadow Keep. Mm. I'm not familiar with Shadow Keep. Mm, yeah. I have to look at that one. I have to look it up. Yeah, I have to look it up too. Yeah. Uh, All before right. Before we get into our movies, I know we do have a couple. We have some good ones, and we have one that's not terrible, but it's not great. Anyway, before we get into all that stuff, I do want to make mention and uh, something that has impacted us all, especially those of us around my age. We'll just say that um, the Queen of Rock and Roll passed away today. Tina Turner. My goodness, she was eighty-three years old. Um, grew up listening to. I can Tina and, and of course when she went solo for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, it was kind of a kind of a another gut punch. My goodness. My goodness. 
Welcome to the Thunderdome, bitch. Such yeah, that's it's. I think it's it sucks because the people that you grew up with and the people that you really enjoyed watching and listening to. And now at this point, they are up in age with her being, um, 83 and, um, it sucks because it's like, they're getting to that point and that they're going to, they're going to be gone. Right. And so you, you get used to them being there. You all, the three of us here, and, and I'm sure a few in the side chat as well, uh, are old enough. We're in that generation where, we got like we we were alive. We were. I remember Frank Sinatra. I remember he's watching yeah. him. I remember, you know. I remember uh, even Sammy Davis Jr. I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, he was what? I can't remember when he when he passed away. But I remember like the 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 older older you know the the golden age uh, actors and actresses, the Walter Matthaus, the Sidney Poitiers, and. We got the, we, you know, we we kind of grew up on the golden age where we, you know, we we were able to consume all of that, you know, even some of the people that were like in the 30s and 40s, we got that right. We have lived through their deaths, and we're living through even more as we get older and older. You know, the the, the folks that were, you know, popular in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they're starting to go away. So we we've, you know, we've talked about this before how we've been able to. Um, you know, be privy to being alive for some of these amazing performers. And now we're starting to see, you know, we're starting to see those, those performers move on. And that's, you know, I don't know, but I don't know for you guys, but it's kind of getting older, man. It's like really chisels that, by the way, you're fucking getting old. It's like, fuck's sake. There's some, there's some individuals that, uh, that, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's so it's sad because you, you, as we as we are getting older, there are some that we that we grew up with that I'm uh, just like I. There's been character actors that I've seen pass um, that I've seen you you see them in like every single television show there ever was. They always you know had at least one episode or two episodes in, mm-hmm. and then you are you know like great character actors who have come who have come and gone. But then there's the you know the big heavy hitters like you know that we you know I, like when Patrick Stewart goes or Ian McKellen goes or or Anthony Hopkins goes or mm-hmm. you know if you talk about like or maybe some of the I mean, uh, a Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones I mean I don't yeah. wish them, you know but they are they are advancing they're in their 90s you know we Bob New, Bob Newhart is like 93 Newhart. now yeah. and uh there's some individuals that we know unfortunately will not be with us uh much longer which is you know it's always sad because you don't want to hear about it and I don't I never like, I never enjoy moving someone from a happy birthday to an in memoriam in the database. And, you know, it was just, you know, and, and of course, rest in peace to, um, to, uh, uh, Steven, uh, <clears throat> dang it. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite actors, he was the Punisher. He was in oh, uh, yeah. coming out. Um, damn it. Oh, it's, um, he was in the Punisher. He was in Thor. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, 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 what he was one of the brothers three. I can't remember his name. Starts with the, starts with the K. Ray Stevenson. Ray, yeah. Ray Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when Stevenson, when Ray Stevenson recently passed, that was kind of out of nowhere because he was, I think, he was only fifty eight. Um, youngster, yeah, no shit, fuck. Which uh, just kind of, yeah, that kind of broke my heart a little bit. I was really bummed about that, and plus, I loved him. I mean, I liked him virtually everything he did. He was fantastic in Book of Eli because he was uh, Gary Oldman's right-hand man in that film. But I really, really loved him in Dexter because it was not only his – it was like he got to play 
um, a badass, like people that he was like, you just killing everybody, this bad mob, badass mafia guy who was gay. And you just give him that he was, but to see this dude incorporate the elements of that, his, this LGBTQ character who is also an absolute unstoppable killing machine going up against, against Dexter in that respect. I loved their back and I love Michael C. Hall and Ray Stevenson's moment, their quiet moments when they got to sit and talk and explore their characters and everything. And I really, really enjoyed that um, because he was such a, a, I think an underrated actor. I mean, he was a character actor, of course, uh, but he was so phenomenally talented in how he was able to convey uh, so much with so little. Because people look at him like, oh, he's just a big dude. He's a hard ass. Oh, it's just Ray Stevenson. There was so much depth there and so much talent. And he was he was a fucking loss. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's such a shame. It I me mean, it really was. And I know even me and Johnny were talking about with uh, Martin Scorsese having a new movie coming out, Killers of the Flower Moon. He's in his 80s. It's like how much how many more movies can he make? Yeah. Yeah. I think oh. I think there was a there was a um there was actually a, a, an interview there where Scorsese was talking about, you know, pretty much he's thinking that Killers of the Flower Moon might be his last. Yeah. That, that he might be done by the time to time to retire because the industry is just the way it's gone, where it's at now, the demands that it puts what on is you it, what does he have left to prove though i mean think about it what does he have what martin scorsese of all directors i mean he's <laughs> like the elite of the elite what does he have left he's up there what? with like scorsese cameron spielberg you know the great yeah, I think Kurosawa, Kurosawa, kubrick and right i i would put scorsese just based on what he's done above a kubrick above a spielberg absolutely Absolutely. Name me one bad Martin Scorsese film. Name me what? Uh, what one bad Scorsese film? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. But I can name you one bad fucking Kubrick film. There are no bad Kubrick films. Eyes Wide Shut is garbage. It is hot garbage. I'm so angry that that you was didn't understand so it. Well. No, I understood it. it <laughs> you was, didn't understand yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You, just you just didn't get it. No, 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 no. no I got it. it <laughs> I apologize. That's a bit of an inside joke because it came from a conversation we had previously. It was like you just don't get it. That's why you don't. That's why you don't like it. You just don't understand it. <laughs> Believe me, nobody understood Eyes Wide Shut. No one. Tom no. Cruise didn't understand that fucking movie. No one. No one did. But when you have a movie like Goodfellas, most directors will never, ever in their entire life make a movie as good as Goodfellas. Most will never. I'm talking yeah. successful directors will never make something as good as Goodfellas. Yeah. Good point. And me and Martin Scorsese makes it look easy. Oh, Jeremy Duncan, Coppola, try again. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Scorsese is light years ahead of Francis Ford Ooh. Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola is good. I think, that, I think this is a hill that Johnny will die on. I will absolutely die in this hill. Is Scorsese my favorite director of all time? No, because I enjoy other people who make different choices. However, I do recognize that Scorsese is probably the greatest director of all time simply because he consistently gets good performances good films good stories consistently you can't name one bad well look at who he works with you know you like martin robert de niro yes, joe well, pesci ray liotta fucking leonardo dicaprio fucking jack nicholson fucking oh, daniel day lewis 
yourself, though, why do these guys want to continue to work with him? Because those guys have worked with other directors before. Oh, they he's an amazing done director. Exactly. That's my but point. He, and it's also because he allowed, he allowed, it's been, I mean, this is, this is, you know, like, this is just the way he is, is that he allows his actors to play. That's yes. a huge thing. He yeah. lets his actors have, like, it's like, if I feel like something belongs to the character, he will let his actors experiment and yeah. try things. It may not work. It may so, work. But that's why, I, that's why uh, The Departed was so fucking amazing. It was because right. he let Jack Nicholson just, hey, I'm not going to get in Jack's way. Let Jack do his thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, so we were talking about, and this is the last thing, we're, the last tangent we're going to go on before we get to the horror films. So we were talking about Scorsese, we were talking about Wolf of Wall Street and Margot Robin, which she talked, she had to convince Scorsese to let her be naked in that. She's like, no, my character most definitely would do this because of X, Y, and Z. And he was like, you know what? I just don't think I just don't think it's necessary. She's like, no, it is absolutely necessary because. And he's like, fine, if you think that's what the character is, he allows his performers to to embody whatever characters and make those choices. That is a mark of an excellent director. I mean, that is when you have Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the most picky people when it comes to film. That's why he comes out of the film every couple of years. And there's a reason why. How many Scorsese films has he done already? Three or four. I mean, it's he's quite a few. Yeah, I think because I think I think Flowers is his fourth. <clears throat> is his fourth. fourth. Yeah, and I I don't think he's worked with another director maybe more than once or twice. There's only one director that can get Joe Pesci to come out of retirement. Just one. Yeah, yeah. Joe Pesci he doesn't need to act anymore. And Martin is like, I got something for you. Okay, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> Still, Joe Pesci, my, Joe Pesci, my cousin Vinny, I think arguably his, his greatest role ever. Oh, yeah. I love him as Tommy, but great, yeah. him and Marissa back and forth, just the chemistry. That, that was the great. chemistry yeah. between the two. Yeah. All right. We've got. All we've right. Got okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we got up All right. This week's tangent brought to you by Death. <laughs> sarcasm oh, thank you <laughs> all right we do talk about all kinds of we, i mean we're not just fans of horror films here we do talk about all kinds of shit so <laughs> but all right first up we got visiting hours which was released may 28th 1982 roll it there's something in the elevator. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have visiting hours directed by Jean Claude Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Michael Ironside, and Linda Pearl. And basically, Basically, Eugene does not want to tell us about this because his internet sucks. I'm back. There he is. Okay, yes, I'm good. back. And so basically what it is is you have a psychotic killer stalking a news reporter inside of a hospital. I feel like I've seen this before. <laughs> woof, woof. There are there are definitely some Halloween 2 parallels in this in this film i will i will give it that as just a little bit just yeah. a few there's yeah, a few just... uh, and it, it kind of shot when, when it finally got into the bulk of it at the hospital when you know these when michael ironside's killer has has infiltrated the hospital and is hunting her down i was like oh a lot of the camera shots and a lot of the see a lot of just the chase sequences was like oh they really kind of like jumped on the halloween 2 bandwagon here you know it's like okay that's fine that that's cool you know usual works um, it was not as bad as we've seen in the past with other films where they like legit, like there was some, 
there was some movie that we watched that was like straight up like they just did Halloween. That's which what they did. It was just like straight copy. But um, this one, this one wasn't interesting. This is what I really dug. The film in itself is it, I found it to be intriguing. It's not a terrible film. It's written if uh, people not familiar with the title it was originally released as The Fright. So I think I think it was the original title for it. Yeah, it was originally titled The Fright, and it, you know this is a Canadian horror film. So, but one thing I found was really really cool is because you have your slasher. So at this time, 1982, 1983, you've got the formulaic slasher film. The subgenre has really blown up in America. Friday the 13th is all the thing. Halloween is all the thing. You've got, you know, the, the deluge of, of the 80s slasher. And Canada, of course, was going to follow suit as well. But something that I noticed about this one, and it was not only in how the characters are are addressed each one each character is explored you have your feminist icon who is the reporter <clears throat> um, and then you've got your killer played by michael ironside played very effectively by michael ironside and then you've got a you know everybody else and then william shatner is kind of like playing which is weird not to see him in a lead he's playing kind of like a middle ground kind of like background role so i loved because th this is a great film to see the difference i will pause for effect <laughs> and thank you jeremy duncan and uh what i really really enjoy is this movie is a good way to see how uh, Canadian directors, Canadian filmmakers approached the genre differently from American filmmakers. Because America was always like, we have a formula. We know what works. This is what makes money. Just follow that formula. Don't really deviate. You see some movies like April Fool's Day, Happy Birthday to Me, try to get, give it a little bit of spin, just try and twist it up a little bit. But still, they followed the same formula. Canadian horror films really didn't do that. There wasn't such a... And I hate to use the term sounds weird. I'm trying to demonize capitalism, but the capitalistic need to do films a certain way doesn't really exist in Canada. And I enjoyed this one because it went in directions that you wouldn't expect it to, where it explored societal issues that were important at the time, such as the the, the rise of uh, essentially it's kind of in the in the in the wave of the rise of feminism in the 80s. And the idea of uh, women challenging the you know the gender second roles that they were feminism, yes in the 80s do, the second, wave, wave. Yeah, second wave second wave feminism yeah. yeah and so I really enjoyed that I enjoyed having seeing a movie embrace this topic as you have your characters having discussions on what their perceived roles are and what they should and should not be doing from each one's perspective and the killer operating within a certain paradigm that is antithetical to what the hero believes in is like the hero has these that are are ostensibly our final girl um has a specific idea as to what the what the woman's role is the killer has an opposite view and blames her for many things so i liked this kind of 80s idea these two kind of counter ideologies clashing not just a killer going after a victim ah oh, you saw me i'm gonna kill you blah 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 blah, blah. no we have like a clash of ideologies here, which I found really fascinating. Yeah, and, that's, and the thing is, is it allows it to dive a little bit deeper because you're right. A lot of slasher films, they're not deep. I mean, they just really are. Friday the 13th is great, but you're watching a group of teenagers get killed and you're, you're, you're in it for the deaths. Okay, so the first one, I will disagree with you. I think it's a lot deeper than we give it credit for uh, Friday the 13th. Well, I meant just a we I meant just a series as a whole. Oh, sure. No, yeah. no, no, that's what I was gonna say. I will tend to agree two through fifty, whatever the fuck we have now. 
Yeah, it just became schlock. Yeah, hey, how are we going to kill it, 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 it evolved into that. It evolved. Yeah. It, it settled into the formula that worked, and then it ran with it. Right. It's pretty much all. It's all it did. Right. But if you look at the original slashers, you look at you know Halloween, um, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, etc. Their first films were a lot deeper than we give them credit for. Maybe we just watched them devolve over their multiple sequels into the formulaic schlock that we were used to, and we kind of discount. Um, that the, the the original storytelling and the original depth that the first of those series gave us, much like this movie. Yeah, because it could be it could be interesting to see. Because I obviously I watched like Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween when I got just a little bit older. You already kind of already have your mindset on what the slasher genre was versus someone watching Halloween in a theater in seventy eight when right. it first came out where you don't have all those sequels and so coming into this film you have that perspective because i didn't even hear about it this film until we're going to talk about it on the podcast so it's nice to able to dive into a, a few things another great aspect about this film that i really enjoyed is i really enjoyed the cinematography and lighting right yeah it was very the mood that it sets for it just being a hospital it didn't play as overly creepy. Like, okay, you're trying too hard to make this dark. Like but Halloween 2. Halloween 2 did that big time. You know, the way everything, like the dark, long, empty hallways. And, you know, like juxtaposed against like the white of, of like Michael's mask and shit. And he's like, and just that the, the way, the shape moving along that space, how it was so, um, how, how it contrasted against the sterility of everything. And the way that was lit, they really overdid that in Halloween 2. Whereas this one I felt felt much more grounded. It was. It was much ground. It still it still set the mood of it without overly. You're right. Overdoing. It feels like a hospital at night. Well, all, mm. people are trying to sleep, so we're gonna have some of the lights down just a little bit, and they have the pools of light where it needs to be. It's still well exposed. You can see the action. There's some good complex shots in it. Uh, there's a great. There's a couple of great quick wonders of scenes, like when the nurses are at the. They're at the. Um, the, at the charge station, yeah, the charge, yeah, desk, the yeah. charge station, and the focus is going back and forth between the nurses, and it's just, as it's just as a wonder. So it was very well executed, and which I really appreciate about it. I dug it, and, and it's always oh, always nice to go back because mm -hmm. yeah, in the '80s, the the reliance on jump scares and things you know, are not as heavy as it was today. So it's nice to go back and see things like body reveals and having the actors respond organically to the things that are being revealed around them and they respond in grounded ways it, it's not always a giant <gasps> giant gasp and then the camera closes in and the, the, the music spikes it was nice to not have that to have to seem like these individuals are being allowed to uh to literally these characters are being allowed to function like normal human beings and not to try and sell a particular emotive response you know, to the audience or to, to generate that from the audience for the sake of they they did they did excellent in showing and not telling which was this really really more, smart filmmaking. This had more of a like a foreign film, um, like Italian French horror kind of uh, kind of mood and feel to it. Mm -hmm. Not so much, you know, we're gonna punch you in the face with no. So we're gonna get some nuance. We're gonna get some. Uh, we're gonna get some some mood. We're gonna allow you to connect the dots in your head as opposed to like you said, just oh, let me tell you what you're supposed to think. Yeah, instead of basically force feeding it to you. Right. I, I I I was I was thoroughly I was thoroughly surprised. I really enjoyed it. I love seeing, of course, Michael Ironside, one of my favorite character actors. Um, loved him ever see. I I I everything I've seen him, I've always enjoyed. Whether he's playing a good guy or a bad guy, he's a gruff dude. 
He's got that gravelly really voice. Really play a good guy. I mean, well, I was I was surprised when I was. He, there's been a few movies. There was a movie called um, Extraterrestrial by the Vicious Brothers. He was a good oh, dude. Yeah. He was a good guy in that. But Rico, actually, you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to do. But I loved him. And Extraterrestrial was fantastic because he was a Viet. He was a weed growing Vietnam veteran. So he was just like this badass, like you know, Vietnam vet who went counterculture, and he's like in his little in his little like Vietnam vet compound, growing all his weed and shit. He's like, yeah, just hanging out, listening to listen to the chariots in the sky, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> chariots of the gods. I I loved. It. He's a fantastic character actor. And what got me is like he has no lines in this movie for the longest time. I was like, is this fucker gonna speak? Because That's it's one point. of his one of his traits is his voice. Yeah, and it's forever before we hear from him. We just have like this, this this monstrous dude, who's I never thought in pleather, which is wild to me. It's just like the way he was dressing. It was like this is fucking amazing. Um, I love what he brought he's to shiny. it. Shiny, uh, <laughs> he's so shiny. He was so he was so shiny, and and uh and you know it has scenes that lend themselves because not only is he like the serial killer, but he's also a he's also a sadist. Because there's the whole sequence with the girl that he brings home that he does not kill, but he completely and totally abuses the shit out of her. And walking through that whole sequence, obviously at the time would have been very discomforting. I think would even still today would put people kind of like, you know, uh, put some people off, which is likely why this movie was regarded as a video nasty was because of its depictions of sexual violence. And of course the graphic nature of a lot of the kills. Cause like, you know, the dude in the, the poor, the poor Jewish guy, who gets killed like you know when he shoves the ball in his mouth and stabs to death in his fucking ear. It's like, oh, it's like that was brutal. But um, yeah, it was a vicious little film. But I think because it was Canadian, you had different, I think I would say a different approach to filmmaking than you would American style. And I really enjoyed that about it, which is the same difference, like why I love um my bloody Valentine so much. Still a slasher, but different. The approach is different. The idea that's the, 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 what makes compelling storytelling is approached differently from that. Instead of just this, we got to hit these beats and make this money, which I think sets this one apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I really enjoy foreign cinema because the beat points are different. Whereas with American cinema, it's always, okay, we got to hit this note. We got to hit this note. Uh, we got the, this ensures money-making. We execute it's this. Very formulaic. Yeah. Exactly, where you have a lot of these great standalone foreign films that it could be their regular beat points in their country, but because I'm not from their country, it's different. Yeah. And you're able to look forward to certain. So, for example, like just a lot of foreign films don't rely on jump scares. It can be more atmospheric. The pacing is different. Um, whether that's your cup of tea or not is one so, thing, yeah, but I like that difference. Right. So some people consider uh, foreign films pacing to be very slow, and it's just different. It's a different. They they tell their story with a lot more nuance, um, and there's something to be said about a foreign film or even a director, or even a stateside director that uses that that type of influence. It's one of the reasons why a lot of American made or American remakes of foreign films like Juon and shit like that they just don't work for me because. It's like, well, we see what worked for the the Korean side or the Japanese or whatever, and we're pulling so we're gonna remake it and we're gonna but we're gonna make it with an American twist. It's like, no, the reason why those work so well in there, like they I think they redid alive. They it was so terrible. The remake was just terrible because 
A, it was kind of a shot-for-shot remake, which made it just bad. And B, it didn't have that same... I don't know. It just, it just, it's like they were trying to copy something they didn't truly understand. And I think that's it. When you like, when you look at like, let the right one in, a lot of it's the little, it's the little in between moments. It's a little bit of the glances. It's the subtext that when they're talking, and when you have the action at the end. It's more like, okay, this is a climax, wrap it up. We don't feel the need to constantly keep throwing action at you to keep your attention. Yeah. You're going to pay attention to the movie, you're going to like it, or if you're not going to pay attention, then we don't care. As it should be. Yeah. As as it should be. As it should be. Watch good movies, damn it. Yeah, watch good movies. And the thing about watching, and I'll say this to everybody, Pay attention to movies you watch. I know nowadays you have the iPad, you have your cell phone, and all these things are competing with your attention. But the really, really good movies take if you can't put your phone down for two hours to watch a movie, you have a whole different set of issues. Yeah. <laughs> you do, you have a whole different than whatever. But the great thing about movies is that you can escape. For a couple hours, dive into some characters and really enjoy a story and not look at your phone, not look at social media, and just get invested in it. So that's my two cents. Yeah, yeah. You are absolutely correct. Uh, you were going off in your rant. I'm getting text messages about other jobs that I had to answer really quick. So I apologize for being the example, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But definitely, definitely talk. We'll see. We did talk about uh, some Michael Ironside. We We did. Because Michael Ironside is fucking amazing. He is awesome. And I actually, I want to ask the audience. What do you think is the best Michael Ironside villain? The stepdad in Major Pain. (laughs) <laughs> i still gotta go i still uh, the best michael ironside villain oh i'm torn uh, I'm, I'm torn between between cronenberg scanners yeah and total recall yeah because i fucking loved him as richter you know and just yeah. that sequence just like see you at the potty richter <laughs> throws his fucking arms to him and shit yeah. like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. He's so fucking because he's so evil and he's so smug. He's just yeah. a smug asshole. It's like, see you at the party. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, fuck you. <laughs> oh, I fucking loved him in that because because he doesn't. He's a, he's an effectively grimy and me and just just a really good effective bad guy. But he has a kind of panache to him. You know, just a, a kind of like a slickness or a coolness to him, which I which I really dig. He doesn't have to go over the top to sell a bad guy. It's like you look at him it's like that's a bad dude, but he speaks clearly and and you know he's a very eloquent bad guy. Eloquent, yeah. you know, it's like you wouldn't expect that. You know, you wouldn't expect it from the from this guy this kind of dude who's kind of like this bruiser looking motherfucker, but no, he can he can cut a serious character, like an intelligent badass character of like that's why i really enjoyed i I liked him as richter but i also fucking loved him as kansas just him just like because the way he mugs as a bad guy is fantastic of confidence yes (laughs) he has an air of confidence oh yeah 
I will always, 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 his favorite, my favorite role will always be Starship Troopers with him. He is so perfect oh, <laughs> as the Roughnecks. <laughs> you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> I, I believe you. I definitely, definitely believe you. <laughs> Ordinary Jeff says, is he going to, is he going to remember any of this? Uh, no, no. Oh, really? <laughs> he just punches Schwarzenegger in the face. It's fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a hello That's to Ordinary Jeff. Total Recall, by the right. way. A hello, Ordinary Jeff. Jeremy, uh, Ordinary Jeff, good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Joshua Lee is in the house as well. Good to see you. Donnie does that popped in. Good to see you, Donnie. Thanks so much. A uh, bunch of new people uh, popped in. We'll make sure I say hi to them. Um, but yeah, uh, Daryl uh, Revok and Scanners. Fuck yeah. Hell yes. yes, he was amazing as can that that in as far as like character villains, that's up there with Clancy Brown in Highlander as the Kurgan. And just you know, this those kind of like this, those those 80s sci-fi villains that you really yeah. that you really dig. So I fucking loved him in that. A man who can't use his hand can't push a button. <laughs> a man cannot push a button. Speaking of Clancy Brown, it's like <laughs> put your hand on that wall. <laughs> A man who cannot push a button, or a man who a, a man cannot push a button if you disable his hand. If you disable his hand, why? Because we're gonna fight and we're gonna win. Oh my oh, God. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, he was so fucking good in that. God, he was good. Now, who thinks they've got what it takes to knock me down? <laughs> <laughs> medic um, i fucking love michael ironside he is brilliant uh clancy brown's a fantastic actor uh and i love seeing michael ironside if you if people out there have not had the chance to see the movie the vicious brothers movie extraterrestrial extraterrestrial with uh michael ironside in it his character is great so he's just a badass like vietnam vet smoking weed looking for aliens uh character i fucking loved it because he's so because he can play goofy too like he has the goofiest fucking laugh when he wants to like, <laughs> it's just hilarious. He's such an amazing character actor. Oh yeah. All right. Let's jump on to our next one. Here we go. Clancy should do oh, Clancy should do filler on the roof. Fucking A. Hell yes, yeah, Cindy Sue. And good to see you, Cindy. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And wrote in the last name, Gavin Gavin to you. All right. For our next film, we're gonna go back a little ways. Released May 31st, 1974. And we have Devil Times Five. Let's check out this trailer. Yeah, like virtually every single one was in a trailer. So, <laughs> so we have the Devil Times Five, uh, which was a slasher film uh, directed by Sean McGregor and written by Dylan Jones, and starring Sorrel Brooks. Oh, sorry, Sorrel Book, who was fucking Boss Hog. In uh, in the Dukes of Hazard, which yep. I was like, "What the fuck?" When I first, I was like, "Holy shit, you!" <laughs> and Gene Evans, Shelley Morrison, and Leif Garrett. Um, and it was because it was really actually released under a number of names. This was also released as People Toys, uh, The Horrible House on the Hill, and of course as the Tantrums, as Tantrums in the UK when it was released on home video. Uh, another video nasty that was shut down in the UK and heavily censored uh, here in America when it first came out. But an interesting little film. Um, I, I have like to say, I was little. Do what? I like how you called it little. Because they're kids. Because they're kids. Because they're, <laughs> they're kids in there. Um, this was this was I, this for me. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I, this was a a savage, and I think an underrated gem as far as the slasher films in the seventies go. 
especially ones involving kids. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like a bunch of little murderous bastards running around harvesting people, putting piranha in a bathtub? By the way, that's not how it works. And and, and to, to give a heads up, something something uh, not a lot of people might know, but one in that scene, they used piranha. Only yeah. when they were dumping the fish into the bathtub, they were supposed to be dead. But an unfortunate accident, one of them was still alive and actually bit the actress when she was in the tub with it. Oh, so, which, was, <laughs> which they, they were supposed to, they, they were all supposed to be deceased. And then just, they throw them out in the water and it's like, oh, they look, you have their fish, they, they flop in there. But one of them was still alive and managed to actually bite the actress who was in the tub. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn. Ow, that uh, hurts. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they're like, good acting. She's like, oh, ow, 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 good acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, need a little more. Need a little more. Long <laughs> Joshua Lee says, well, now them Duke boys are going to have a killer time. Yes, they will. <laughs> they absolutely will. Good right. to see you, Sally Skeleton. Thanks so much for popping in. I dug, I, I, I enjoyed this one. I thought it was I well shot. I did as well. I love it when mm-hmm. you get. Beautiful part about this film, right? Is it came out what seventy? What was this? Seventy four. Yeah. Okay. Um, outside of like the Children of the Corn, there wasn't a whole lot of little kids doing murderous things in the seventies. Nowadays, that shit's like fucking whatever. Nobody cares. Oh yeah, big deal. But having these kids get in there and mix it up with with some very interesting kills, the piranha in the bathtub—that's an interesting mm-hmm. kill for a child who's like kids. Like, you know what we can do, guys? We can get some fucking piranha. Like, where do you even get piranha? Number one, <laughs> yeah, just fucking drive. Oh, pet store. We get some piranha. Put it in the tub. No, but the piranha in the bathtub. Uh, that that fucking the window one where the the swing. The swing when he swung down onto him. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> admit, it's good. And, and it's great because then the kid jumps off into the dude's dead. He's like, "I told you it would work." It's like they planned this. <laughs> this was organized, and, and right. one of them was like, "That'll never work. You'll never get him with that." It's like, "Yes, I will." Watch yes, this. <laughs> it's like, told you, bitch. He's like, yeah, I guess you were right. I guess yep. it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the- yep, <laughs> no, this is something we talked about uh, in the green room beforehand, talking about how the the kills, like these kids, this story works because it doesn't just like tell the story of a bunch of kids killing people. No, the, the kills are done in, with such a like an innocence behind it. And that sounds weird, but it's like, like this is how a kid would do. Like, this is what they would think about. Like, the things they would argue. You know, we're going to MacGyver some shit, and I don't know if it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, it's going to work. It's not going to work. And then it works. Like, ha, I told you so. There's that, there's that, I mean, sweetness, I guess you would call it, about these kids and the way that they're, they're doing this, which juxtaposed to what they are actually doing really draws you in like holy shit like the, the playground bickering between them it's yes, like, yes yes exactly yeah right exactly you know because you see your you see kids all the time complaining and arguing and, and fighting with amongst each other like these kids do in this movie now we're going to add in the fact that they're murderous little bastards and there's no like he who walks amongst the rose bullshit it's not like no they're just evil little bastards that just like fucking kill people it's the fact they don't understand the gravity of what they're doing yes like right. that's that's the big thing, and it really made me think of a story I read. Uh, it was from a nurse who worked in an insane asylum, and on her first day, 
Okay, back. On my first, <laughs> on her first day, they had a kid in there who was like eight, nine years old, and the uh, what, another nurse was like, "Don't talk to him." And I was like, "Well, why?" Just like, "Do not engage him in any way." And it's like, "Well, what happened?" And he went to school, and he really liked the teacher, okay. and it was like, "I want you to be my mom." And the teacher, of course, was like, "No, because your mom would be upset." He really let the kid down. Well, the kid ended up waiting until his actual mom was asleep and then stabbed her with a pair of scissors in the throat and actually killed her. And so that's why I got put in a sane asylum. And the kid never understood the gravity of the situation. He was just, I want this teacher to be my mom. Like, that's well, it. A problem. That's hair-raising. Got, uh, got a reason why this, okay, here, this is what I want. Well, this is why it won't work. Okay, there's the problem. How do I solve that problem? Well, the reason why it won't work is I already have a mom. Let me get rid of that one. Okay, problem solved. Now, I, now you can be my mom. Some That's real, kid logic. Some, exactly. Some real out of the box thinking. There, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's it's it, it it is. There is a there's that odd that odd like you said the innocence that kind of like child logic to it, and which I think works to its advantage because it makes it all the more creepier. There and a number of films with with killer kids have come again, along. Did it again, JL. What you said more creepier. Oh, it's it's more it's it's what the fuck? It's creepier. It's creepier. Fine, it's fucking creepier. <laughs> there's uh, there's been other films that have been, that have gone with the killer kids. Right? There's a one that uh, came out a few years ago called The Children, which is kind of the same. Where mm. it's kids that go insane. They're driven insane by some unknown force. They wind up turning on their parents up at like a secluded lodge over Christmas. And so, but the way that the kills are displayed and that the graphic nature of the kills and what the children do in response to having committed these atrocities is very childlike in that, in, in kind of their depiction. And, the you know, it's almost like they don't grasp it, but they do grasp what they're doing. They understand that they're murdering people. They get it. They completely grasp it. But obviously there's nothing more to it, which makes it even more frightening because they don't re respond like adults. Like, you know, the adult will kill someone and there may be some satisfaction of the fantasy there, but then they move on. The kids don't. They just kind of arbitrarily do this in response to be, like just being children. It's like they'll, you know, as much as quick as they'll play tetherball, as quick as they'll do other fun kids things, they'll just straight murder people to murder right. people to shit and move on to the next one. So, yes. and, and, and that's given even more with the tea party sequence at the end with everybody's corpses. And of course, like when they kill the, the angry old man who's, who owned the piranhas and they make a snowman out of his body. And it's ideas like that, that come across really disconcerting. And I think I enjoyed that, but what got me the most now, and I want your guys in and, and the live chat, I want your y'all's opinion on this as well. So let us know what you think, because we all know that there was a time in film when you didn't hurt kids. Kids did not get killed. Kids did not get murdered. If there was any violence to a child, it was always implied, subtly implied, never heavily implied. And you never saw a kid die on screen. Unless you, it was it, it just, and like, oh, uh, or the exorcist. Well, that was, was, she, that was a kid. she was a kid. That was, that was mid 70, 70, 76? 70, 72. Was it 72? 72? Yeah, it was 72. Well, I believe it you. wasn't it wasn't common, and so watching this film, you're wrong. It was, it's seventy three. Oh, seventy three. <laughs> so, but typically you didn't see children like terrible things happen to kids. Nowadays, terrible things happening to children is just another way to up the stakes. 
You know, yeah. like, the, oh, the killer will kill kids. You know, okay. So even Michael Myers has a cutoff as to who he will murder. Even Jason Voorhees has a cutoff as to who he will murder. Yeah, if he gets too low, he won't touch depth. him. <laughs> that's part of the depth of Jason Voorhees. He has a code. He has he, a moral he code. himself is a child. Yes. Yes. So, and you have like like a cutoff, like Jason, like like Michael Myers doesn't kill children, children. He doesn't kill little kids. And Jason Voorhees doesn't kill little kids. These, uh, so in the sense, kids wouldn't, uh, Night of the Living Dead, kid in the basement. Oh, turned into a zombie, but not a zombie in the, killed. really more of a ghoul. Because then it was, it was different. You Still got killed twice. But we didn't see it, but you didn't see it happen. You didn't see it happen physically on screen. That was the whole point. Violence against children is always shied away. And that was 1968. And this one, so it was weird. Knowing that going in, nothing is going... Like, I, I hadn't seen the movie before. I'd heard of it. I'd never actually watched it. So that was the killer thing was... Killer thing, huh? Was mm. watching the film and knowing these little fucking brats are going to get away with it. Everyone in this fucking movie is going to die. And these little heathens are going to carry on. I thought maybe the nun will get killed. Maybe like the hero guy they're setting up is like the hero. Maybe he'll kill the nun and then he himself will get killed. But these kids are going to get away scot-free. Nothing is going to happen to them. And sure as shit, these little, these five little brats and their fucking psycho like nun, you know, handmaid that's it's walking around with their supervisor who's like leading them on to do this shit. They get away scot-free, not a fucking scratch on them. Burning people alive, stabbing people to death, beating them to death, fucking even a car accident. The car accident yeah. that they're in. Nobody has a, no nobody is injured one to one iota. That oh, kids are scot free. And then they carry on because of the movie ends with it, the beginning. Like it's starting now. So I thought I like that was weird. Never, I like how they never followed up with the with the sequel. No sequel. Just no, no sequel. Nothing. Which I thought was oh, I thought was odd. I thought it was just like, huh. Knowing that they're all going to get away with it, knowing that no harm will come to these children, I expect at least one of them to go, one of them to get got, at least like thrown out a window or off a roof or something. No, get bit by the piranha. Who knows? Something. No, their kids are like we got plot armor, motherfuckers. Plot armor. They have they they, they have societal <laughs> plot armors. Like no, yeah. I mean the thing is, and they just leave. It's like literally like oh, playtime's over. Yep. That's it. Let's go, just, let's go find some more toys. <laughs> yeah, they 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 sit there and they like position everybody the way they want to, and then they're like, ah, "All right, kind of bored. Playtime's over. Let's go." <laughs> Done with their toys. It was it was it was interesting. It was it harkened back to a time when kids really couldn't be victims in film. It, it wasn't a standard thing. Films that had kids be victims were generally really reviled, or they were, you know. Yeah, they, they were up, they were up, I would say a film apart is what they were. It's people like, oh, that one's really insane because the kids get killed and shit like that. Even in like Cujo, in that situation, the book had Tad die at the end. Stephen Spoiler King had Tad alert. die. But, oh, come on. It's 1984, man. What do you want? And so, but in the movie, we can't even let the kid die. The kid's got to survive. She's got to, she can't go through this shit and not save the kid. You know, so even then had to change it up. Even in Village of the Damned. You know, the kids got away with it because they're fucking because unstoppable. Superman, <laughs> because and met his match. So yes, he fucking, did. Fucking Psych short, psychic fighting. children. <laughs> you guys are eyes, eyes were green. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that was kryptonite in their eyes. That's what was going on. Oh, so, you, so you're going out the Carpenter remake of Village yeah. of the Damned. Yeah. yeah. Probably the only, the, I mean, Christopher Reeve was amazing. That Christy Alley was pretty damn good in that, too. Yeah. 
So, but yeah, I really, I, I dug this one, even though it was kind of like I knew how it was going to end. Like these kids are going to get away with it. There's not going to be any justice, which is also interesting from a, for a film from the 70s. No justice is served. There is no balance. They, there's no heroes. The villains 100% win. Well, it also kind of makes sense. We're getting out of that, that era where the villains had to lose. Like for the longest time, I think up until the late 60s, um, you know, your horror movies had to end with the monster dying or the bad guy dying. The good guys had to win. It had to be a happy ending at the end of every single horror film. It had to be. That was the law. And you see that getting like what well, we don't have to do anymore. So he's like, no, you're not gonna do that. We're fucking. Fuck I think it's the, it's the change in mentality. You think of what was going on yeah. in the 70s at the time. Sure. You know, there were a lot of anti, a lot of anti-war uh, sentiment. Uh, America is not the good guy, you know, it's not we don't have well, we're not as good as we thought we were. Not as good as we thought we were. Yeah. It's no longer no this post-World War II era. When all yeah. of a sudden America in a lot of people's eyes is sticking their nose where it doesn't belong into world politics and doing things they're doing. And all of a sudden news starts coming out about, you know, Vietnam and about Korea and the shit that was going yeah. on there. And now all of a sudden, wow, weird. And of course, Project Paperclip and the space race and all that shit mm-hmm. is kind of like, wow, we we're are we are, are we just as bad as the bad guys? You know, are we willing to do the things that they were doing? And so people begin to like, I, I, I look at this as the same reason why the narrative changed in the two different blob movies from 1958 to 1988 is you have this fundamental shift in American ideology from American exceptionalism to it's really, it's really the individual. It's the, it's the citizen yeah. that makes American great, not America in and of itself. Right. Exactly. And, and well, I yeah. saw that kind of here is like, you know, the hero, the, the really sometimes there are no heroes. Well, yeah. the thing is, you think about it, and first of all, in 1974, Vietnam's still going on for at least one more year until 1975. And when you look at World War II, World War II, you could not show dead U.S. soldiers in the media. And all the newsreels, newspapers, anything, you could not, pictures were taken, of course, but they were heavily censored. You could not show dead U.S. soldiers at all whatsoever well, it's that nationalism that nationalistic movement we had back right. in, the, in in that time especially that led up into i think the like 1958 1959 uh where everything was like hurrah america america fuck yeah, yeah. america we had to be, we had and, to be look at us we're the, the 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 good guys who don't hurt who don't bleed who don't lose going up against evil nazi germany and and you know we will be victorious we are the winners we are this big and then and then Eugene freezes. Okay. Now with Vietnam, Vietnam, you have uncensored, unchecked footage yeah. coming out of the country because you have all yeah. these journalists, independent journalists going over there. So now you're seeing U.S. soldiers build, uh, burning down villages. You're seeing yeah. U.S. soldiers kill uh, civilians. You're seeing the true nature of warfare. And it right. changes. Yep. The fundamental, the the ideology, the American ideology shifted, and you can see that not only in film, but I mean, you can see that in, in especially in literature. Yes. You know, in the books, the books that were coming out at the time, the, the the counterculture movement of books that came out in the sixties, the seventies, and the I would say like the almost the late fifties, all the way up to the eighties. You had this fundamental shift in how America looked on both the global scale and on, on you know internally on the national scale. And as this next generation was recognizing, it's like man that a lot of people were blind. The previous were blind. And then you see that coming out in the movies. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the bad guy, the idea that the bad guy can win, that they're, that, you know, that Charles it comes, it, it comes down to us and that it comes down to the people. And sometimes it ain't enough, you know, and that's a hard reality. And I think 
obviously the censors, you know, that labeled movies like The Old Times Five as video nasties, yeah, they couldn't deal with that. It was the idea that yes, here are these horrible aspects of reality that we must deal with, and the censors, of course, are like no, 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 can't show that, can't deal with that, can't reconcile that shit, we can't have that. It was almost like not just uh, we don't want people to see terrible things, but we don't, we cannot lose that ideology that somehow we are the best or we are great or we are the good guys, you know, because it's information and information spreads like wildfire. And that's, what's, you know, but it opened up new doors and new, uh, new forms of storytelling, which I really enjoyed. And this one, I think, stands up. It stands up, stands the test of time and it's brutal and surprisingly entertaining. Especially it, for the time it period. really it really is because you cannot tell me that it's not an accident that one of the kids in this film wears an army style jumper that is hands down not an accident with a black kid has army jumper with the name tag and the hat for it mm-hmm. that's not an accident and I thought and so uh, this I you know I do we want I mean I feel like it like it needs to be addressed. You know, given because there's going to be a sequence in this that that some people are going to kind of recoil, that some people may recoil at. But obviously, there's a there's a sequence in there which even made me a little uncomfortable. But the director was willing, the writer and the director were willing to go there and see. And that was one of the one of the kids. It was the the younger white kid, and the way he spoke to the boss, you know, boss hog, the way he spoke to him, and then admiring his wife's clothes. And then later dressing up in his wife's clothes in front of the mirror and then turning around and, you know, changing back into, I guess, changing. That was like the formal wear, the changing back into his killing attire, you know, which however you considered that was a plot thread that was never really followed up on. It was just an act thrown in as an aspect. And I can see why at the time that may be considered that nowadays there, yeah, obviously remember this was 1974 this is a, a, a obviously many many obviously many decades ago. So, but people may find that to be kind of insulting in that respect. So, but like I said, there's a lot of really really tough things in this film, and some throwaway things that were utilized to make the kids crazy and shit. Um, but I found that to be especially that dialogue in there was really challenging uh, because to you know, know that the kid was delivering certain lines, the the way the child was speaking, well well acted, very well acted on the kids' behalves. You know, and enough to unsettle me. I was like, cool. And trying to imagine being on set and shooting that would be really fucking disconcerting. It's <laughs> in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully those kids had some therapy afterwards. Because... Well, f- f- from all intents and purposes, you know, going by uh, interviews afterwards, apparently the kids had an amazing time on set. That the whole, it was, it was literally that like playtime. Right, so, that makes so, it work, actually. Actor Tier Turner. Tier Turner, who played... Um, uh, make sure I got one. Who played Brian? Who was the young black kid? Uh, who was the the army the the soldier kid? So Tier Turner recalled that uh, the shoot was like a vacation. All the kids were having a great time. It was an absolute blast. And he's the one that remembered that the one of the piranha turned out to be alive and actually bit the actress in the tub. Um, the actress who uh, Carolyn Steller, who actually got bit. And but apparently it was extremely tense for the adults because there was big time issues between. Uh, director McGregor, Sean McGregor and uh, producer Michael Blowitz, when at one point they got into a fist fight and <laughs> McGregor punched Blowitz in the face. We don't know the detail, details of this. And at one point, Blowitz responded by throwing McGregor through a plate glass window. So there's apparently some, but uh, they, uh, they shielded 
the kids from this stuff because all the kids were having fun. They said it was an absolute blast to shoot this movie. It was fucking, it, you know, a vacation for them. But apparently, the uh, the adults not so much. <laughs> you try, uh, Eugene is sitting there trying to fathom a, a producer throwing a director through a plate glass window. <laughs> Damn. You don't just accidentally throw somebody through a window. <laughs> it's very true. What am I getting arrested for? I got thrown out a fucking window. <laughs> fucking crazy. But an interesting film. An interesting film with some interesting ideas. And obviously, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of out-of-date stuff as far as storytelling goes, but it makes it all the it makes it much more uh, it makes it much creepier. More intense. <laughs> I fucking hate you, Johnny. Now I'm thinking about it all the time. But I yeah. I want to ask the audience, what do y'all think? This one was a solid one. Devil Times 5 is really, really good. But what do you think is the best killer kids movie? Whether it's one kid or multiple kids, what do you think is the best killer kids movie? The best one ever made, in your, uh, I would say, in your opinion. What do you think is the best? So let yeah. us know in the live chat or, of course, in the Comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. And hello to Colin, definitely not Cromwell, who just popped in. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you, Colin. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, hello. I That's a tough one. I got to say. That was super tough. Hmm. I, I, I still think, as far as that's killer kids can. You got huh? Village of the Dam. Children of the Corn, Village of the Dam. Yeah. This one here. Um, you've got The Good Son, uh, simply because <laughs> what you were going to say. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, Mikey still stands out to me with Brian Bosnell. Mm, yeah, he, yeah, because he was Mikey. so young, and that movie was so fucking violent. And I figured you would you would remember that because uh, um, yeah, uh, Ashley Lawrence was in that. Uh, Kirsty Cotton was in that. Yeah, she was. Yeah. <laughs> she was his teacher, <laughs> so mm. she was the teacher who figures it out and tries to stop him and does not stop him at all. He no, doesn't. Fails, fails miserably. But that was a brutally violent movie, and. That kid, uh, Brian Bosnell was like fucking set or six, I think, when he shot that movie. It was like he was so little. And it was like, whoa. And like brutal film. So um, Javier Harris says Children of the Corn. Cindy Sue says Bad Seed. Awesome. Liam Wakefield says uh, Santa's Little Helper is one of my favorite little ki uh, little killer kid film. Cool. Uh, Joshua Lee says The Omen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sir Gasm uh, said I Village mean, of the Damned. Really was the kid didn't really do with the killing in The Omen. It was everybody else. Yeah, it was everybody's kind of surrounding him. Yeah, he did, he didn't get nasty until part two. Yeah, and even then, it was he really didn't get nasty. You know what I mean? He just kind of he motivated people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. He was a manipulator, a little Charles Manson. And fact, he says Sesame Street. Good to see you. Fact, he thanks so much for being here, bud. Um, Javier Hara says the possession. Very cool. Mm. Casey Cooper says it's a good life. There's a bunch of good ones. I, th I I kind of sit with Mikey because Mikey surprised Mikey shocked me by its level of visceral violence in that. They were willing to get pretty nasty in that one. Right. And I had Ashley Lawrence. Yeah. All right. See, good Ashley times. Lawrence. Yeah. I was sorry. Right. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, Colin definitely Cromwell says, would the ring count? Samara. Mm, no, because she's a ghost. Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. Liam Wakefield, good to see you. Liam says it was Damien's dad who did the motivation and some killing. Well, that's true. It was Satan. Yeah, it was. It was, well, it was yeah. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, like I said, you can find You're just there. Hey, I'm a kid. Hey. Sorry. Oh, Ordinary Jeff brings up, and he's right. There was a Spanish movie about kids killing everyone in an island, 
where a couple goes to an island for a for a like a weekend retreat and they find out that and they wind up trapped there. Everybody's dead and the kids are turned. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I recall that. I just can't remember the name of it. it. Huh? It's the six o'clock news. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the brood. Although those were, were those really children? I don't think those were children. I don't, I don't think, think those so were either. kids. <laughs> Back anyway. says, what's that movie with the girl that starts fires? Hmm. There's mm. a silent version of that music video. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Flies. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Fire, 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 Joshua Lee, fire starter. <laughs> Question mark. All right, Johnny, what do we have up next? All right. We have one of my favorite movies. No, my top 100. Uh, the 2007 Mr. Brooks. Let's check out this trailer. All right. That was the 2007 American psychological thriller slash horror called Mr. Brooks. It was directed by Bruce A. Evans, obviously starring Kevin Costner, Demi Moore, Dane Cook, and William Hurt with a bunch of other people that are peppered in there. Uh, so essentially what you have here is a very successful businessman who has a very dark secret who likes to murder people. Uh, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's. I'm going to say a couple of things. A, I love this movie, except for one thing. Uh oh, except for one thing. There's a brilliant spot in the film where, and it's it's set up good. And if you haven't seen this one, spoiler alert. I don't give a shit. But it's set up through this movie. Obviously, the thread you can get from the. Um, and the trailer is that Mr. Brooks's daughter has some issues that could very well be Mr. Brooks's issues. Essentially, Mr. Brooks is dealing with this is a film about addiction, right? Uh, dealing with uh, Kevin Costner's character is addicted to killing people, which is an interesting addiction. I wonder if there's a pill for that, but um, and they talk about the hereditary nature of addiction basically saying that his daughter has it too and that's who killed whoever died on on campus so i set this up beautifully right it's great it's like awesome setting her up to be this neck the serial killer and there's a moment at the end of the film where kevin costner goes to check in on his little girl after his character has done what he needed to do to protect his daughter um and she like wakes up as he, you know, as he, you know, tucks her in and when he wakes up and fucking cuts his throat, he's bleeding everywhere, dying. I was like, yes, that's what exactly what needs to happen. And this is where we should end the movie. And then it doesn't. It gives us that, oh, it was a dream bullshit. And I fucking hated that. I hated that movie for that for the longest time. Outside of that, William Hurt and Kevin Costner are fucking brilliant in this. They're so good. I that mean, sequence when they're in the car and they're they're they're, they're and I and I always enjoyed. I love the cinematic, uh, the narrative style of having them talk to each other out loud when other people are present when they're having the conversation because the conversation is in his head, obviously talking to his bloodthirsty you know id yes. behind him, and so but he'll have that conversation like he's talking to uh, uh, William Hurt's character, I would, uh, Marshall. Is that uh, that's. Was it, it was Marshall, right? Yeah. I want to make sure. Yes. Um, so when he's talking to Marshall and he'll have that conversation out loud, like it was like, huh, so where do you think he's hid the pictures? He's like, no doubt the key is on his keychain, and it's likely to his 
safety deposit box. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. They're, and they're planning this in yeah. the middle of a conversation that is like, <laughs> and I loved that moment. I loved how they did it, especially in the car, the sequence when he almost yeah. gets, when he runs out into traffic, it's like, oh, holy shit. He's like, wouldn't it be great if you got hit by a car and just solve their problems for us? It almost happened like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking loved it. Their, their chemistry was fantastic. Yes. Like, it was like I it was I love what you were thinking. You have no idea what I am thinking. It <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show, despite his veneer, despite Kevin Costner, despite Mr. Brooks's veneer of stability, he's fucking insane. He's white knuckling the whole he, time. He is fucking crazy because he's and, in there arguing with himself about what he knows. It's yeah, like, it's come on, man. It starts out, it starts out with this, you know, this. Oh, Mr. C that's when he's getting the award and you know he's out with his wife and they had a great evening and then you know like we jump right into it the argument where he's at he has been white knuckling it for so long and now it's starting to like Mr. Id back here you know Marshall's like hey uh fuck you we're going to do this shit you know we're going to do this shit yeah. nothing you can do about it let's just you know let's stop pussyfooting around and go do it it was almost and, like you know, you know when you try to quit smoking you know it's like come on man you just want one you just want one and it's like he well, talks hurt him, you. And right at the beginning, he kind of like talks him into going by the convenience store and picking up a pack. Not necessarily smoking, just picking up yeah. a pack. Or an alcoholic. Yeah, well, that's just having point. the bottle, like I have the bottle there. And everything's I was, okay. was going to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to get to because that, that opening sequence where he's talking about, well, we don't have to do it. We can just go by the apartment. You can just, we can just look. Yeah. yeah. We can look. We can window shop. Right. And it's beautifully done. Like that, that conversation is beautifully woven throughout that. Right. Here's, you know, Here's this person who's uh, dealing with addiction. Here's his addiction talking to him and saying, hey, well, we don't have to, but we could be there. Just, you know, kind of check it out. Let's go, you know, put our foot in the water, see what happens. We're not going to get in necessarily. We're just going to go see what the temperature's like. <laughs> oh, it's nice. Temperature's nice. We don't have to get in, but, you know, if we do get in, it's a nice temperature of the water. Oh, we got in the water. So we don't have to swim. Yep. How we can, how we justify this shit yes. to ourselves. Yes. It's fucking insane. And, and we, and we, I think everyone can relate to that, which is weird when you see it uh, through the eyes of like this, this monstrous serial killer who, yes. you know, and you know, the beauty part is you, you get the sense that something is, you know, something is askew, right? We don't really say, Hey, we're going to kill these people. And it's like, what, what, you know, what are we doing? We're we talking about somebody who likes to, you know, just look and maybe what? And then you get to this part where you get to this this murder. Like, fuck you, Jesus Christ! We ramped that shit up quick, and you get to see just how, like, as he has this moment, this 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 uh, moment of ecstasy, this release right, after right he, after right after the kill, right that whole life. And it, yeah, right. Yeah. You could see like he Kevin Costner does so he his performance is just, just amazing, uh, which is weird to say about Kevin Costner. Not that he's a bad actor. Usually he gets wrapped up in his own fucking ego, funnily enough. Um is that, is that dopamine hit is what he was yes, getting. Yeah, like, exactly. It just floods his brain, and you just you can see it just like oh when it just yeah. you know, he mm, and yeah, it was it it it's kind of showed the, the first time you see it. It's it's very it's it's like it's like here it's like hearing Denzel the first time in Training Day when he yeah. goes to you're like holy fuck man he went there it's like Kevin Costner goes dark he does and when you think about where he's at as a character and I oh it's, yes and mm. it's not just as simple as well here he is okay we we pulled the mask off we told you what he is he's this just you know serial killer that goes off killing a whole bunch of people and then we're gonna leave it there no there's real 
uh there's real depth to this character there there's a there's a genuine fight between good and evil so to speak between doing what's right and doing what his he's addicted to doing that conversation about you know because when he finds out that his daughter when he puts the two and two together that his daughter is just like him he has a genuine moment and the fucked up thing is william hurt marshall the person who who's like no go kill more go kill more i was like no you're gonna be fine she's gonna be okay he like he's genuinely showing us some care the conversation that happens throughout this movie with about addiction is so it's like so spot on with folks who deal with addiction like their addiction is there to comfort them but it's not right but it appears to be it appears to be their friend it appears to be part of who they are part of what they want to do oh well i got i've got your best interest at heart take that drink no big deal it's not going to hurt anybody you're not going to hurt anybody we're here because you know you don't want to feel something i've got the medicine for you let's go do it and go ahead eugene go ahead and, and, and the thing is, is you're right because it's the it's the adage of going well i'm going to go to the bar for a drink or not even that i'm just going to go to the bar yeah just just i'm i'm just you know what i have some friends going right. there and it's always addiction is always it's these little baby steps mm-hmm. it's these little things where it's like the one step by itself isn't harmful it's when it's all put together that it leads to where you ha- end up having the outcome right that's what's so dangerous about addiction is it's just these little baby steps people trying to quit smoking where it's just like uh oh well you know what uh i will i can leave that pack in the drawer uh, you know yeah. what? I'm hanging out with people who are smoking, but it, it's okay. It's okay. I won't yeah, I, I, take a drag. It's a wonderfully it's a, it's a wonderfully crafted film from top to bottom. I love. Yeah. I've always loved Kevin Costner in ensemble roles where he is playing, where he's sharing screen time with somebody else or he's with a number of people. You've got Demi Moore in this as well. Dane Cook with a surprisingly yeah. effective turn as the he dude. Was the worst of all of them i will say that he's not particularly uh, he's the weakest of the bunch but he's not utilized to an to a great extent he he's he's kind of the plot jeep which is good because he's effective as a plot jeep he didn't he didn't drop the ball there if he was given more i fear that he might have but i liked seeing him in, in a turn that was not pure comedy it was an opportunity to play with a character yeah. that has its own demons and is trying to abuse a relationship because so if you look at like uh, kevin costner being the consummate addict and the demi moore cons every each character has their own extreme failings yes. so like you know kevin costner is an addict demi moore is constantly living up to an idea that she can't live up to and so the, yeah. con- the 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 relationship between her and her father her father wanted a son she turned out to be a girl and all her father always resented her for it so she's trying to overcome that dane cook himself is an abuser that's what he is he was just a coward at first because he would yeah. voyeuristically take pictures of people in their intimate moments. And then he sees the opportunity to really take that. But the minute he, any relationship he's in, he's abusive because he begins to abuse Mr. Brooks to get what he wants. Everybody's got their failings. And I think Dane Cook delivered a surprisingly effective performance for how little he was given and what he's intended to be, which is just a, pl- a, a plot driver. That's all he is. He drives the plot. So I enjoyed that, but not to mention cinematography speaking, the way everything is handled, the different sets, different moods, everything that plays through, especially in his moments of his post, uh, I would say post-coital, because it is almost coital for him, mm-hmm. but these the post-kill moments, the almost remorse and the, the being forced to let go of that evidence. You can't keep trophies. You can't do this. And the way 
he internalizes that process. His his um, his uh, counter forensic process mm-hmm. is very very impressive, and not to mention the fucking score is brilliant on this movie. I fucking loved it. This From is the- one of those films that is techni- technically sound, top to bottom. Superb. Yes. And see, this is where is where it sucks is when you have a film like this that isn't successful. Well, that, that's the big thing. Is like, why didn't what? this work? It, okay. it's, a, it's, it's a good film. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. By all intents and purposes, for what this movie was, budget to return, it was a success. This doubled its money. It was a twenty million dollar budget. Made well, no, it maybe did more than that, but it did at least forty six. I think it was forty eight million. So it did better than double its budget. Yeah, twenty million for forty eight point one. Yeah, from the box office. Yeah. The problem that this film had was a marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any marketing behind this. I don't even remember this going to theaters. To be honest with you, if it had a theater run, it was a theatrical run. It was very limited. If, so if it even had one. Because in all of Costner's you know, pre pre reveal or pre release interviews, he said he wanted this to be the first in a trilogy. That was the big thing. Is like he constantly said, "I want this to be a trilogy." I, you know, we have yeah. plans for that. Yeah, I just I don't understand. I don't understand why you they couldn't have gotten a uh, uh, another studio to take out a flyer on this at least the sequel. It just doesn't make sense to me. It, it comes from the fact is. You have to do better than just double your budget. Yeah, it, absolutely. It made money. But nowadays, if you want to do the trilogy, you have to triple, quadruple budget-wise. Simply doubling your budget isn't enough. And it sucks that we, didn't, we, we didn't get it. I mean, because they even talked about... This is, well, this is where I'm going to push back on you a little bit, talking about you know if you want the trilogy, you have to blah, blah, blah. Take a look at the Divergent series. That motherfucker didn't make any money. It was uh, for all for all intents, it was it was kind of a flop. It was a it was a trilogy that flopped. Yes, it made it doubled its money a little bit better than doubled its money f- overall, but it wasn't anywhere near as successful as like the the Mockingbird. And it wasn't true. There were four films, but essentially it was based on three books. Point being, <laughs> they went into it with the idea this is going to be a three part, three or four part series because of the the source mm-hmm. material. If and that's where again we're going to talk about marketing, not just marketing to the public, but marketing to producers and production houses and money folks. Like, hey, look, we're going to do this. We're going to do this on a three-film deal, and we can do this on a budget. Obviously, twenty million dollars for this film is nothing. Even back when it was two thousand and seven, it was nothing. Twenty million dollars, like whatever. We, you know, shit. Fucking Tom Cruise films cost one hundred and ninety million, easy. And they're talking if about some actors getting. You have some actors getting paid twenty million alone just for that yeah, yeah right exactly yeah. i i think it was just it was it was bad marketing to executives bad marketing in general on the release there just wasn't enough and it maybe maybe dane cook being in there didn't help uh demi moore was kind of you know it was at the end of her run i mean she wasn't the demi moore that she was in in the in the mid to late 90s um you know kevin costner hadn't had a good movie and what was it 2007 what was the last film he did before this? Yeah, it'd been a second since he'd had a real blockbuster. Yeah, I mean, he, he just wasn't pulling the same type of uh, uh, of money, of box office numbers. He wasn't as bankable uh, as he had been in the past because of Waterworld and 
shit like you know, the postman and stuff like that. People were kind of like they were waning on Kevin Costner. Yeah, before yeah. this was before this was the the Guardian, which was yeah. the, the the water rescue one, and then rumor has it, uh, which was an ensemble piece with Jennifer Aniston. And right. then the the upside of anger, and then before that was Open Range, which I thought he was amazing in. But then he was also had Robert Duvall and right. a number of other yeah. fantastic actors around him. But you know, it, you know, th I think Three Thousand Miles to Graceland was two thousand one, and that was like I think one of his best roles. I loved him in that with Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, but you know. But then again, you got to think it had Kurt Russell in it. It had uh, yeah. what was the, who else? It had who was a female lead in that? God, what was her name? Um, Oh, 3,000 Miles of Graceland? Yeah, what was her name? I can't believe I forgot her fucking name. It was Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, Jesus Christ. Can't believe I forgot her fucking name. Like, um, see your face right there next to <laughs> Matthew Perry. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is you're going into, you're seeing Kevin Costner in a way that you haven't seen, because usually Kevin Costner's the hero. He's a good guy. I don't know. Now, he's played some pretty good bad guys. I'm not saying he did a bad job. I'm saying in terms of way people see him, when this when this film came out so it's like you have him kind of going against the type right here obviously some bad marketing and maybe studio execs didn't have a lot of faith in the film that's why marketing was kind of lacking to begin with and it just didn't correlate to the numbers that it was expected to produce yeah such a shame because you know what could have been i thought would have been amazing originally the uh they intended uh, they intended a trilogy. Uh, Joshua Lee says, "Is it weird this movie reminds me of the newer movie Nobody?" Uh, not at all. There's there's a lot of similarities there. Um, I think what they had intended for this originally, and I like the idea. We we've all speculated about what could have been. Originally, the idea was in an interview. The writer said what they had planned was eventually there. The second film would be kind of a taken scenario where the where uh, his wife played by Marge Helgenberger and uh, and Daniel Panabaker, who's his daughter, get kidnapped. And then, so they get kidnapped and he has to go after them. And that's why after a period of, of dormancy, he comes out, he has to go get his family back and he has to balance dealing with the FBI and local law enforcement, trying to get his uh, family back while also dealing with it, dealing with Marshall, driving him to go and take matters into his own hands, which then uncovers, which then leads to Daniel Panabaker's character turning the tables on her captors and then almost being revealed as a serial killer herself. And then it turns around that in the third film, they would go head to head. Essentially he realizes his daughter is beyond saving. He himself cannot be saved. They would end up, they wind up killing each other or he'd wind up orchestrating both of their deaths in order to stop the cycle. And so essentially that's where they were going to go. I like that they could have gone a number of different ways. I think that he could have died in the second, in the second one and the daughter could have taken over. There's a number of ways they could have played that. Daniel Panabaker is a fantastic actress in her own right. Um, she's fantastic on the on the Flash right now. Um, but there's a number of ways they could have played it. I like to kind of speculate as to how it could have gone down and what could have been. I wish this had gotten the, the additional entries. It deserved it. I wanted more. I wanted to see more from uh, Demi Moore's character. I wanted to see those characters fleshed out. I wanted to see elements from the first film come back into the second film and you know and to explore this universe that he created of this kind of like box tie of this tycoon who built this small little empire, this small little business empire and was fantastically wealthy. And then, you know, moonlighting as a moonlighting as a freaking serial killer. I wish it had gone in that direction. I think that we lost out because of that, which was a damn shame. So, but what could it be? Oh, I like to think about what could have been. And, you know, you, you never know. Hey, Anna, Anna, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Appreciate you popping in. I gotta say, um, we can talk about what could have been 
We let's take a look at what was. What was the the first the Mr. Brooks film? It could have been all by itself. We didn't need it for any fucking trilogy. It's good standalone. Yeah, it should stand alone, and she should have killed him at the end of it. Damn it! I will just. <laughs> I the the dream it was a dream ending is always the worst one. It's I always such a cop out. It, it, it feels like a cop out, but there's the possibility, and I can't eliminate this from contention. They may have known from projections or whatever that the studio may have said, "Hey, you know, it's unlikely you're going to get a sequel after this," or someone may have had the heads up because we the time in between picture lock and release, a lot of things can go down, and by the yeah. time this saw theatrical release. This has been through test audience and test screenings. So and so they they made money, yes, but test audiences could have been lukewarm. They could have, you know, not really, really uh, latched onto it. You know, you know, Kevin Costner as a serial killer, it may not have, you know, whatever they went through, it may have been decided by the producers. There's a possibility we may not get a a sequel off of this. So if we leave this film with a cliffhanger and we don't get a sequel off of this, and we don't get it then we need to kind of give some sort of closure to that. And, or maybe they thought they were, maybe, maybe test audiences were amazing and it didn't pan that way out, which is why they left the dream sequence in. I can see it, see the reasoning going both ways, but it works close-ended to have it be a dream sequence that he is going to be stuck in the cycle forever until he dies or his daughter dies or something happens, or you could say a dream sequence and then we could lead into a sequel from there. So there's a number of ways. It works both ways. It's it's soft-ended, which I think works from a marketing standpoint. You can close it off there, cool, or we left it open to go on. If you simply had her kill him, okay, that demands a sequel. That demands a carry-on because now your, your, your hero is dead and you have the ramifications going on from there, not to mention with the mother and what's going on with her id. What you know, And that would have been cool to bring William Hurt, have it be her marshal. Would have been intriguing because that opens up the universe in all kinds of different ways. So jumping from person to person, I kind of like that idea, you know. So I just like the idea of the the, like the conversation there. So going back to the original conversation of addiction and how we as addicts make a lot of uh, excuses for our behavior, justifications for our behavior, and then we see that behavior manifest itself in our in our offspring. And now we're going to we're going to do what we do for them, what we do for ourselves, and help them excuse and justify and cover up and hide away. And that was like the 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 result of the ramifications of his actions. Instead of getting the help that he needed or getting his daughter the help that she needed more specifically, now you have to deal with those consequences. And those consequences ended up getting you stabbed in the fucking neck. Yeah. And for me, that was that's more important like fuck the sequel i don't give a shit if there's a sequel not a sequel i don't give a shit if that that would have well now we have to have a sequel no we don't i don't give a fuck about the sequel if we do have a sequel then whatever but for me it was more of wrapping up that conversation or wrapping up that that idea that this is what happens when you let addiction run you and you don't seek out the help that you need to seek so yeah that's just me and the thing is, is it takes away from all when you when you're sitting there, you go into a story and you have these turning points. The best turning points are your protagonist does an action that cannot be taken back. Yep, that's what propels that story. Where it's someone dies or something, this happens or that happens, whatever it is, 
now your now your protagonist must deal with the consequences of the decision that was made on the action they can't take back and that's how we can get invested that's why we want to see what is next or what's going to develop so when you do the dream sequence it just retcons everything it's yeah. oh well now that consequence that action that we want to see as a result of that decision doesn't matter yeah and you know the argument is well we're left it ambiguous no you fucking didn't <laughs> it's ambiguous at all we all know exactly what's going to happen should the story continue the problem i have is it didn't continue and you gave me this bullshit ass fucking dream sequence that i fucking hate but outside of that i really did enjoy this movie yes that being said, <laughs> I love it. I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like me with the mist, you know, because I fucking I, see, like, I still love the way that mist ended. I, I fucking love, love that movie, but that last five minutes makes me want to eat a bullet, man. I swear. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what they did. I did, yeah. Remember five sitting in five out of six, I ate a bullet that day. <laughs> I, 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 I just remember sitting in the theater white. Uh, it's like you, so it's like, ah, oh. it click, so click, 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 click. <laughs> so good. I'm sorry. I love that. Again, Stephen King said it was a better ending than his book. So, anyway, that being said, we've talked about the trilogy and, and could it be, should it be? That's what I want to ask the audience. Could we still complete this trilogy? Obviously, without William Hurt, it makes it very difficult to do, but. Uh, and uh, is there a world in which you could see the trilogy being finished? Let us know in the side chat comment section down below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com where Alex could use the shithouse reading material. Mm -hmm. I honestly think, I, I don't know, it was the death of William Hurt that kind of killed it. Um, I don't think it's possible without him. He, he, the chemistry between Hurt and Costner really made the first film. Um, trying to continue good. the story without him would be very difficult uh, Which is uh, weird because both Kevin Costner and William Hurt are, you know how you like, you know, you have like Abbott and Costello, you have Amos and Andy, you have like the straight guy and then the, the funny guy. Right. Well, William Hurt and Kevin Costner are both like the straight guy. And for some reason it works. Right. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to talk about this next movie. <laughs> well, we'll be quick. because we, <laughs> we don't have time to spend much time on the show. There's not much to say about it, but you know, but it came up. So, you know, you could always be like, "Oh, what else is out there?" <laughs> okay, we'll get <laughs> this one over with. Finally, we had so we had like some interesting topics and some interesting thought-provoking movies earlier, and then we end on this fucking we, piece we of shit. This one. <laughs> well, hang on a second. It's not not really. We've seen worse. They're much worse. This that's, one didn't set the most. No, 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 hang on. Hang on. This fucking show. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I understand that we've seen some really fucking terrible movies, but that's not the problem with this movie. We'll get to that. We yeah. will get to that. So. But go ahead, you go ahead, Eugene. So we have Alucard, which was released June 3rd, 2008. Alucard? What's that mean? <sighs> Roll it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say one thing to you before Eugene, you get into this here. Um, He's coming. He's coming. <laughs> Keanu, <laughs> Keanu Reeves needs to reach out to this filmmaker people and thank them 
forecasting someone even worse than he was in a Dracula movie. <laughs> <laughs> ordinary, ordinary Jesuit, was this filmed with a camcorder or is it me watching in 144? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. This is, if you didn't notice already, this is directed by John Johnson and it stars who Nobody. cares who gives a shit yeah <laughs> what is it about it's dracula oh come on give me the, these people put their time into it come on did they really uh yeah written by spencer thompson and of course starring jay barbara william g smith rebecca taylor david harsheed uh karthik uh karthik Srinivan, srinivasan and of course john johnson himself is also in this fucking thing don't, as... you, mean, don't you mean plagiarized by oh uh, yeah okay okay yeah i actually will I will, I will, I will acquiesce to that. Play, <laughs> plagiarize that respect. What the? Uh, there is no need for a plot summary in this fucking thing because it's first and foremost, this is simply a retelling of Dracula. It's a modern day retelling of Dracula, and just, you know, uh, the movie, as you saw from the trailer, the movie is unintentionally hilarious. But, and I know how Johnny and Eugene talk about this movie as a piece of shit and everything, and you call it a piece of shit, absolutely. But the I don't think that's a problem with this. It's not that it's it's obviously not well made. The camera work is absolutely shit. It was a very, very cheap camera. Everything is lit one way. There's nothing dynamic about it. The sound, especially in many, many areas, was really terrible, especially in the outdoor shots. The biggest problem that I saw with this one was it's just fucking boring. And the reason that it's boring, this was like reading the book because Bram Stoker's book is actually fucking boring because Bram Stoker's book didn't have fucking Gary Oldman in it. So the the book Dracula is actually quite boring. If anybody's actually sat down and read that thing. And this movie is kind of like that. It's very, very boring and unintentionally hilarious because everybody is so fucking over the top. And it is so serious. Takes itself so serious. And then it, everything just comes off goofy in, a, in an egocentric, pretentious mess. You can tell from the trailer when it's like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ah, but it's John Johnson's Alucard. And I, all I kept thinking was like, this is just like, look at me, look at what I can do. Look at this. I have this money to make this Dracula movie. And it's kids running around with a camcorder in a house. Yeah, know, this wasn't made vampire. in like 1975. This wasn't made in 1960. This was made in 2008. I found my dad's camera. Let's shoot a movie. Let's shoot a movie. It kind of felt, it kind of felt like that, that but it was... I. That, I mean, that's exactly what it looks like. The frame rate isn't even right at all. <laughs> like, not listen. Okay, okay. So, so those of you don't know, 30, it's not um, sixty. It's not twenty-three point whatever. It's yeah, like yeah, it's not twenty-four, 32. twenty-five. This was like fifty-seven. Yeah, it was something very weird. <laughs> and I mean, it's not a. I guarantee you, they didn't use a light. At all, they just use lamps or just, just whatever, or just just the ceiling light. They just turn the lights on in the room. Yeah. That was it. That's <laughs> there all. There was no lighting. There was no. There's no key light. There's no fucking hair light. There's just like, oh, we need light. Turn the fucking light on. That's pretty much it. It's just like, oh, we should use the lights in the house. <laughs> and, and, and that's a, and then the thing is, is when it comes to projects that are egocentric, yeah. they never turn out good. When you have the ego project, you've seen a ton of them. Uh, I've worked on a couple of these, these 
and they never, ever, ever turn out good because all these people who think they are the next James Cameron or Martin Scorsese or whatever aren't. They're not even close. When you look at these these, these ego project movies like Heaven's Gate, that they're always boring, they're always pretentious, and to them, if you criticize the film, they're like, oh, you just didn't get it. No, your film is fucking terrible. <laughs> that's the that's the inside joke from before. It's like you just didn't understand it. I what what got me the most is there are and only because I love Coppola's film so much because I loved Gary Oldman, I loved Anthony Hopkins, and I loved their performances. They're very theatrical performances, not over the top performances, which is what this was. Yeah. When your accents are so far beyond, where all of your Germans, you know, your German accent comes off sounding like Jaja Gabor and shit, and that Johnson didn't, this is what got me the most and why it was, you know, what I think signifies the fact that this is predominantly an ego project and not from someone who's trying to tell a story and has, and has filmmaking experience was because there were many, many shots that were pulled directly from Coppola's film that were just, that he just reshot himself. Yeah. There are a number cool. of sequences that he directly pulled from the Coppola production and just tried to redo them with, no special effects, no solid editing, just very, very ham-handed filmmaking, yeah. amateurish at best. I like you know, the Malamute maybe, as opposed huh? to the wolf. I like the Malamute as, you know, we need a wolf. I got a Malamute. Yes, yes, the puppy, the, the puppy that playfully jumped through the window. Yeah. It's like nothing dynamic about it. It's kind of like... That puppy it, wanted to come play and lick people's faces. Liam Wakefield says, you are obviously not a true horror aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> It was it that was the that was the problem is like yeah I get it there are some ego pieces like if you look at like terrible movies like the bad bunny oh like the brown bunny okay that was an egocentric piece and you can understand why because everything is just like look at me look at me I'm amazing but it but at least that was a story an original story told by the director by the director and writer and star of that movie at least it was his original story no no this i don't one, care about the story of brown no. bunny because that movie was all about him trying or him sleeping with uh what's yeah him name? wanting to have sex with chloe seven yeah absolutely yeah. that's oh, what man. it was about but the whole point was at least the story was fucking original is it was something that he was telling this story is not even original he's just riffing he's just adapting a novel a, a classic novel and he but the problem is filmmaking wise it's not even creative because he's just glomming off of coppola yeah he's glomming off of coppola's uh, coppola's work and trying to emulate this with actors who i'm sorry i have respect you know, respect for actors who show up on time and they do their work and they learn their lines and acting is not easy and i get that but the problem is you brought actors on this is not gary oldman this is not fucking anthony hopkins don't try to be oldman and hopkins don't try to be them be who they are. Play to your own strengths. Don't try to emulate the nuances and the and the talent of like of like the giants in fucking filmmaking, especially classical filmmaking. Don't do that because you you'll never get there. And all the I mean, audience will see. Thing. All the audience will see is people reaching. That's all they'll do. Yeah, I mean, kind of like what killed Superman Returns is people trying to emulate Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeves, and Margot Kidder. Don't emulate. Don't be right. the, the, the next them. Be the be the you, be the you know, and, you. and it's one thing to draw influence and inspiration, and you know whatnot from these these bigger actors, right? So, uh, 
well, I forget the, the phrase, I forget the saying, but when you, when you look at someone who you appreciate, right? So you're, you know, I appreciate acting wise. Yeah. I appreciate Gary Oldman. Do I want to be Gary Oldman? I mean, I wouldn't mind having his money and his looks. I mean, come on. That's a fucking house. But no, I mean, I don't want to be Gary Oldman. I, I'd, I'd rather be me. Now, does that to say that I wouldn't take a Gary Oldman performance and learn something from it? Absolutely. Absolutely would do that. But I'm not going to try and do Gary Oldman. Like if I somebody say, hey, let's do the Book of Eli, but we're going to call it the look of Balabadee, whatever, who gives a shit? And you're going to play the bad guy character. I'm not going to be like Gary Oldman fucking around no i'm gonna you know i might say look what can i draw what kind of influence can i draw from his performance and make my own how do it can your I, way. yes do it the way that, that works to you right because old old performance works to his physicality it works well, to his physicality it yeah, works to what I mean, he can bring to his screen works to his presence works to his well, charisma at the end of the day at the end of the day if i want to see how gary oldman played the role right. i'm gonna watch the original i'm gonna watch gary oldman do it right you know um versus do i do i want people to watch my performance and think that was a good performance or well that was some guy who is trying to do what the pre the previous people have done and again there's a fine line you've got to ride there between pulling in influence right pulling in that like i don't know if i would ever want to do uh any anthony hopkins roles but specifically the good the ones that people really remember him for like, i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to step into the hand of electra role you you just you couldn't pay me enough you couldn't like scorsese himself could be like, hey i'm gonna do science of the lamb sequel i want you to be hannibal lecter like no nope, sorry scorsese i'd do anything i would do anything you ask me to do but i can't do that because people are gonna look at these they're gonna look at the original characters and be like mm, mm, this is a hard bar and a hard mark to surpass now some actors can make roles their own but mads, mads nicholson <clears throat> we're talking about an actor of that caliber we're talking about an actor right. of, that's it that that's not like i'm oh, gonna pick some fucking no name off the street and have him be von hiddleston i'm von hiddleston fuck off yeah and see the thing is because it's true because we talk about when you make a re we do a remake if you remake a good film your goal is to be just as good as the original the same it goes with roles and one thing I'm curious about, I wonder, is Dracula public domain now? Or did they, I would look, if it's not public domain, I want to see if they have the rights to do it. I'm pretty sure it is public domain. Is it public uh, domain now? Yeah. Because if it's not, I, I I just pictured like the Dracula estate looking at this and going, we don't even care. Yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula is in the public domain. Okay. It's public domain yeah. now. Okay. I was just curious. The problem that I have, though, what isn't in public domain is Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. That is not in the public not domain. Public domain. That's true. And when you take a look at this a la carte and you compare that to Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, it is an obvious rip. And yeah. it's so obvious of a rip that the director tells you that's what he's doing. In the opening, in whatever the opening, when he's Bram Stoker's Dracula, no, 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 it's my a la carte. No, come on now. So. Yeah, it's just it, it, just trying to emulate, you know. That's what I don't like. It, it was it was rote copying, and I was unimpressed. It was obviously it, the problem with the biggest issue with that is that when you have what I've always seen is like as a writer, is especially as a writer as a director in this, that doesn't it doesn't really matter if when this piece is centered around fulfilling your ego, then everything that's in it is literally going to be just focus. It's going to be take the, the audience's focus and bring it back towards the director. 
I've reviewed films that where that's been the problem where you see the director trying to do is like, it's like, look at me, look at me, look what I can do instead of allowing the actors and allowing the script and allowing your crew to be able to tell a story. You are the director, but it should not be about you is a problem. And when you, when you direct from that standpoint, that everything is going to be focused on, look what I can do as a director and you disassociate your audience from what's going on on screen. That was the biggest problem here. It was like, look how inventive I can be. Look how amazing I can be. When in actuality, if you've seen Bram Stoker, if you've seen the Coppola version, not impressive at all. Don't rip like entire sequences from that film and try to recreate them. You don't have the lighting. You don't have the sound crew. You don't have the, you sure as fuck don't have the camera. camera. <laughs> you don't have the camera and you don't have the practical effects. Okay. You simply don't. You make a puppy movie fuck <laughs> also the thing is this when you have people who have truly mastered something people who are great they don't need to do ego pieces martin scorsese doesn't have an ego piece he just all his it. ego piece all, right, he, all, right, all he does a passion project yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the great great people whatever they've mastered all they have to do is just do it like that's it's just it's like a, it's, a, it's like that saying a rich man doesn't go around telling people he's rich. All he has to do is just do it. I'm just going to make a film, and then it's like, oh, it's a great film. I'm just making a film. Versus the ego project of look at me, look at please, please, I need this attention. Fail every time. Yeah. Oh, Jeremy Duggan said Alucard the Killer Puppy Vampire. Um, actually, somebody should do an adaptation of Benicula. I would watch a Killer Puppy movie. Hands down, in a heartbeat. Do you guys not remember Benicula? Mm -mm. You don't remember Benicula? The more you say it, the more it's not going to chalk my memory. A, it was a, a series of children's books where where, where uh, this you family. Tell me, you called Star Trek Star Wars? <laughs> so it's it's a series of children novel about a family that that has a dog named Harold and a cat. I can't remember the cat's name, but they they adopt a rabbit. They bring a rabbit home, and the rabbit is black and white. And has a very conspicuous widow's peak as part of its coloring. It has red eyes and two little fangs in the front, and it drinks plants. And they'll and like they, they find like plants that are drained of I guess all the chlorophyll because they're like solid white and like this. So and it's ridiculous because he looks like a vampire. It's More a vampire like rabbit. Chlorophyll. And it's a fantastic fucking series, man. That I mean, th there you go, Benicula. They, they need to adapt Benicula. <laughs> Mention in the if in the comments if you remember the Benicula series and that should be adapted into a fucking movie. You let me know. The Blackula films. There is yes, Blackula films. But well, any, okay. anyways, we've talked about we've talked about this uh, pos enough. So <laughs> <laughs> I can delete this out of my memory. Um, remember, they teach you what not to do. That's the point. <laughs> I've seen better movies that teach you what not to do. <laughs> you well, hang on a second. If you have to watch a la carte to be taught what not to do. <laughs> okay, okay. Let me rephrase. They reinforce what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, all right. I want to ask the audience. Wait, successful remake? What okay, is the so so the idea, the idea is this, is that when you, when you are doing a remake as a film or when you're watching a movie that is a remake, 
there are things that you need to do in order to make a successful remake. You think about the remakes that are out there. Think about what made them successful. But there are certain elements that you have to utilize to make a good remake. You know, but what the question is, what are those elements? What do you as the audience, as the live stream audience out there, and those who, those who listen after, what do you think are the elements that are necessary for a successful remake? Obviously, rote copying, just ripping the people who did the stuff before you and trying to emulate it is not one of them, okay? Obviously, worse, worse uh, technology, or I guess worse you know, equipment, Worst camera, worst lighting, worst sound, not a way to do this. But what makes a solid remake? What are the elements that make a remake solid? Let us know down in the live chat or, of course, at uh, weekendhorror at gmail.com or in the comments below. What are your thoughts on that? What is it that sets a solid remake apart from all the abysmal failures, uh, namely a lot of the movies that we talked about on this show? What so. you don't do is try and remake a movie like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. You just right. don't do it. There are certain movies you just do not remake because it's whether it's like a film like Lightning in a Bottle, something like Princess Bride, um, or it's just a film that's that epic or that classic or just that good. There's some you just you do not touch. Shawshank Redemption. I will punch and hunt people down if they ever try to remake that movie. What if it's Darabont? Don't care. Oh shit! <laughs> Don't remake your own I shit. Would, yeah, I would ask why we why we're doing this. Like when Eli Roth redid that. Um, uh, Was it Cabin Fever? Yeah, Cabin, Cabin Fever. Fever. Like why? Yeah, he did. did, 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 did. What the why? Why? You mean you could? You, oh, you know what? I could tell my story better. My question is how? Why did you make a third one? And how did you convince Sean Astin to be in it? <laughs> That's my question. Money, <laughs> money. How many dollars did you have to give him? Fuck. Like uh, Sean Astin doesn't even. Sean Astin doesn't Astin. even need money. <laughs> he he got Hobbit money. He's good. Yeah. Hobbit so. money. Good he won't. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. You know what? Uh, the thing. Uh, great remake. You know why? Good remake or a remake. prequel? Prequel. No. Oh, John you're talking about the original the thing. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the 2011 one. You're talking about the, the thing from outer space and then the thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 The thing. Great remake. Why? Great Again, remake. that very, very reason right there. People forget that it's a remake yeah. uh, because yeah. they took, you know, Carpenter took a, a film that wasn't, it's not obscure, but it certainly wasn't on the, on the level of popular. And he did that. He was like, hey, look, you know what? We're going to put Kurt Russell in here. We're going to put in fucking Keith David in this motherfucker. And we're going to have dogs that turn into lizard monster gross things. We're going to have a fucking spider head that's going to be amazing. And it's going to be all practically. And it's going to be great. And it was. I still, I still love that people that, that Keith David had a reputation in Hollywood at the time of being a, a kind of a bruiser and kind of yeah. like, you know, intense. And so everybody in the hallway, if you go back and watch, I, I, I invite everyone, go back and watch The Thing. You have the John Carpenter classic, greatest sci-fi horror film ever ever made. Go back and watch the sequence when Keith David picks up that fire axe and he's like cutting through the door because McCready's coming through the window. And he's like, hey, I, I, he's like you in there, McCready, or whatever you are, he's got to do. If you watch everybody around him, he picks up that axe, starts swinging the door, everybody backs the fuck up. Everybody's like, they get everybody gets out of the way because Keith David is really fucking intense and you don't know where that axe is going to go. Allows the character to run the show. Yeah. 
And after you've seen that fight he had with Roddy with uh with Rowdy Roddy Piper, five still, minutes. And people I think still, five I, minutes ain't a big deal. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you right. ever fight somebody for five minutes so you think about it boxing had two minute rounds for a reason now two minutes we did five minutes two and a half rounds non-stop no glasses yeah, right <laughs> fucking cars and bottles and fucking hell that was a great fight fuck yes <laughs> all right well you know what time it is it's trivia time <laughs> Eugene, that looks bad. That just looks like you're jerking off two dudes at once. <laughs> I'm just giving up. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to take it. Here's a storyboard of someone doing pull ups. <laughs> Not while I'm taking a drink. No. <laughs> Face, neck, and chest. Here's a storyboard of somebody skiing. <laughs> Oh man! You know what? That's uh, actually a good contest. That's a good contest, and we need to do that. We need to. We want audience participation in this. We want to know what you want to see Eugene's storyboard and the best worst storyboard. We're gonna get a sticker. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna get, but you're gonna get something. Damn it! Leave it. Let us know. We had to do that. We we had to take his storyboards and we had to show them to like an after dark. Like we'll hold it up to the camera and be like, "The first person to guess correctly what's going on in the scene <laughs> wins it." And so we'll show it. People are like double the double Dutch rudder. Yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> like, no, he's rowing a boat. That's a guy rowing a boat. He's like, yeah. "Where's the boat? Why? Where's the guy? Where's the guy? Those aren't oars." Why do the oars have sploosh coming out of the tips? <laughs> All right, but it is trivia time. So everybody in the live chat, flex those Google fingers and get ready. So the first person to get this correct answer, the first correct answer in the live chat wins a special item from the Weekend Horror Store. Uh, if you are ready, here we go. Tonight's trivia question. This should be pretty easy. What horror film is considered the first killer kid movie? One more time. What horror film is considered the very first killer kid movie? First person to get the correct answer in the live chat wins something special. Well, a mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store. Let's see who's got it. It's actually, it's also a Metallica song off of, I think, Reload. What horror film is considered the very first killer kids movie? And let's get it fish. He said, Children of the Corn. Nope, not Children of the Corn. Sorry, oh, we got it. Tony Regime said Village of the Dam. Nope. And Sherry Tilly gets it with Bad Seed. Yes. That is right. Correct. Golf clap. Golf clap. Golf clap. Congratulations, Sharon T Sherry Tilly. Congratulations. I'm going to get your name down. And I think that is Sherry Tilly's first win on the show. So congratulations, Sherry. If we do not have your uh, shipping information, I don't uh, – If so we don't have your shipping information. So the way we're going to get you your prize – is either email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com or message us directly on Discord, your shipping details, whatever they may be, and we will get that printed and shipped out to you ASAP. Just get that over to us at weekendhorror at gmail.com or, of course, at, uh, just message me directly or message one of the guys directly at uh, the Discord. So, thank you. Congratulations, Sherry Tilly. Well done. All right, and that will close out another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash all those buttons, all the buttons. Just smash them all. 
Uh, be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we take a look back at 50s sci-fi horror GOG, the found footage Bigfoot horror Willow Creek, the legendary Joe Dante classic Gremlins, and the savagely bloody and unflinching psychodrama of high tension. Be sure to check out Josh Olsen's store at BadSamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merch, which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links in the description. There's some good stuff down there, guys. Lots of stuff. Now follow us on all the socials for the Daily Splatter, which is your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties. We have a big one coming within probably two months, but it's still a very big one, and you guys really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Uh, you, have, you get all your big announcements there and all kinds of horror shenanigans. Why do we not have that clip queued up every time we say shenanigans? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and support the show directly through our PayPal link or through our Patreon. Join the higher tiers for early content access and behind-the-scenes fun with the crew, or even just support the show for a little dollar a month. One dollar. Just skip out on, oh, no. like, like uh, one-sixteenth of a cup of coffee at Starbucks every day, and you can, you can join the fun and help us out. We would appreciate that. Uh, as always... Thank you for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could have. I'm some fat guy. And I'm Eugene. And I'm JL. We'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared.